Hey there, folks. Welcome to uh, the Sunday edition of the Whitfield Report. Very uh, rare Sunday show, but we're here uh, nonetheless. I'm your host, Sam Whitfield, uh, recording live here from South Florida, joined by uh, the legend Christian Blatt out in uh, Southern California. You can follow Christian on Twitter and Instagram at Christian DMZ, and he is the host of the uh, Black Cast and the Dennis Miller Option. And uh, Christian, how many podcasts do you do now? Because you have a whole bunch more. Since- yeah. Well, first of all, I of course co-host the Dennis Miller Option. If it, if I hosted the Dennis Miller Option, that would be false advertising. Dennis Miller hosts the Dennis Miller Option, but oh, right, right. I, uh, I I do my part to uh, try to contribute to the fun over there. Uh, and let's see. So uh, obviously, I've done been doing the Blackcast for a long time, and that's uh, my name spelled a little bit weird. It's B L A D T C A S T dot com. If you wanted to find out more, uh, I've been doing that for more than seven years. We're at you know, they tell you in podcasting, don't number your episodes, but that's the first thing I started doing. We're at episode 373. So it's a lot, you know, it's uh, and and God bless him. One of our one of our listeners has gone back and started listening to all of them from number one and he'll send me little updates. And I, I don't know why someone would do that. But so I have that one. And right now under under quarantine conditions, I'm doing more than I used to it used to be about once a week. Uh, there have been as weeks where I've done as many as three because the it's sort of like fun to catch up with friends, you know, so I'm yeah. using it that way. I'll use Zoom to talk to somebody and then it's like, well, we're just going to record it for the podcast. And if some of them are people that have been on the podcast before anyway, but, uh, you know, the, the guys I usually do it with, I, I try to talk to them a couple times a month. But uh, so I have that. And then I do shows for a network called AfterBuzz TV that was started by entertainment reporter Maria Menounos and her husband, Kevin Undergaro. Sure. And. They uh, so a lot of those shows it kind of depends on the time of the year. Like I did one for Star Trek Picard, uh, I did one for Curb Your Enthusiasm, but obviously I'm not doing either of those right now. So right now I have two shows that I do for them. One is weekly. It's called Marvel Movie News. That's Thursdays at four Eastern, one Pacific, over on the Popcorn Talk. And, you know, we talk about Marvel movies and Marvel comics and Marvel TV. And, you know, the news is only trickling out right now. Uh, Under normal circumstances, we'd be ramping up for Black Widow, probably getting to uh, a press screening within the next week. And uh, instead, it's just sort of like, well, when will there ever be any more movies? Right. Uh, And then and then I do a a very lighthearted discussion about politics once a week called The Trump Report, which due to scheduling, we do right now Tuesdays at at 2 Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. And it's uh, you know, I'm a I'm a little bit uh, down the middle on things. And all of the all of the other panelists are all super lefties. And so I find myself making points that I don't even believe in. Where I'm just like, well, what about the people who say this? Just to try to just because I'm looking out for people who disagree with what they're saying. Right. And there's things they say that I agree with. There's things that they say that I absolutely completely disagree with. But, you know, it's just like, well, I couldn't find anybody at that network who I could find people who were conservative. I didn't find anybody that wanted to go on camera and talk about it. And and I understand that because these are all people, for the most part, they're all in their early 20s, mid-20s, and they're starting out their careers. And that's not something that they really want to go on record as like, oh, yeah, you're that guy that likes Trump. You know, I mean, it, you know, if if it had been 10 years ago and it's like, oh, you're that you're that guy who voted for McCain or Romney, it was a little different. 
But now it's like, oh, you're a Trump guy. I don't even want to talk to you. So I get it that people don't want to talk about their politics as much. I mean, unless you're doing a show that is politically geared, but a lot of them, you know, they have aspirations to be in entertainment or, uh, you know, uh, like entertainment sports, like wrestling and UFC. And I'm like, yeah, I get it. Like, you just got to keep the politics out of it. It's too bad because the people that I know who are conservative leaning would be really good on that show. And that's the part that's frustrating. But so that's really all I technically right now. I just have four podcasts, but that's a lot. It's a lot to have four. Yeah. And Dennis is just two days a week. So, you know, that's uh, there's a lot of time that I'm deaf for uh, people that are watching this. I assume people, some people are listening and some people are watching. People yeah. who are watching, you can see I'm in this bunker. It's literally, it's at the back of the garage. I'm under my house, uh, my townhouse. And I'm surrounded by I have all these boxes of old comics and, and videotapes and stuff, you know, so it's a, I, I've found a very comfortable spot to do this because I have two small children. And sometimes you'll hear them running around right above my head. Uh, you'll hear them yelling or crying. But the uh, having this spot has made it a lot easier to do. And that's probably why I've done so many black casts of late. And that's why Sam and I are talking at what is 8 a.m. my time. It was like, yep, that's actually the best time of the day on Sunday for me. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, well, I, I really appreciate you for doing this. I think we've actually tried to get this, uh, you know, podcast going on and off for about, uh, you know, four four years. I think this, we've actually been trying to coordinate this longer than either of your, your two kids have been on this earth. So. Yeah, it's definitely been that long. It, it got a little tricky at that point. Yeah, and then I just wrote to you recently. I'm like, wait, I've never done your podcast. I'm, you know, so. <laughs> I'm a jerk because, you know, you've been you've been on the Blackcast. You've uh, you know recorded voicemails and things like that. I know I was in the chat a couple times on your show because it would be like special episodes and stuff. And I've said hi, but that's not nearly enough. So I am glad that we're finally doing. This. Yeah, I, I think you came in uh, one time when I had a new when I had new Larry O'Connor, a.k.a. Michael Hausam on. The, oh, yeah. On the show. Yeah. Which, which is all <laughs> Michael, ha Michael Hausam, who's like completely out of the politics game. You know, he's like he's like all real estate all the time. He doesn't really post about anything anymore, except. Uh, yeah, he he had a show for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so that that so that's kind of the interesting thing. I didn't want to jump, um, you know, into this right away, but it's interesting that you mentioned, you know, other politicos in their, you know, twenties who don't really want to get involved because that's kind of where I'm at. I started off, you know, doing this podcast strictly, you know, politically, and then after 2016, things got so dicey with some of the, uh, you know, characters kind of on the, you know, alt right spectrum popping up you know, who are kind of in my same age group, and it kind of became like, um, you know, eh, I don't really want to get associated with these types of, you know, characters um, anymore. So um, it's interesting that you that you bring that up, because one of the things that um, I'm kind of known for is I'm one of the first people who interviewed uh, Ben Shapiro before he got real famous, and uh, the reason why I interviewed Ben back in 2012 was because I'm a huge fan of uh, Andrew Breitbart, and I happen to know that uh, you actually knew Andrew. In fact, that's actually how I found Dennis, was because uh, way back in the day, Breitbart tweeted something out like, hey, I'll be on the Dennis Miller show, you know, guest hosting, and uh, that was the first time I tuned into Dennis. I can't remember the exact date, but it was one of the shows that Andrew filled in for him, I think. 
So, and that's how I found you subsequently. Yeah, yeah and, and I know, uh, I knew Andrew because of Dennis. Uh, he, I actually met him in 2004. He was a guest on Dennis's CNBC TV show, which is how I met Dennis, which is also how I met my wife. And I met Andrew there because he was a regular guest because he was uh, uh, one, two, outspoken, and most importantly, three, great on television. So he would be on all the time. And I got to know him really well. And a few years later when we started the radio show, I would just have him on. Uh, you know, I, I wanted him on as a guest. And I talked him into guest hosting. He never guest hosted a whole show. And there was a little bit of anxiety about, like, how do I fill three hours? And I'm like. Andrew, come on, the way you talk, it's like you're going to turn on the mic and before you know it, it's going to be over. And then also commercial radio is – I don't want to say it's easy, but it's a lot easier to approach because it's like I'm going to talk for eight minutes yeah. and then I have to take a break. And then I'm going to talk for five minutes and take a break. So it's it, it's not like, oh, I'm going to do a podcast for two hours. I have to really have it all mapped out before I start because I'm not going to break. So and he was obviously he was great. He always brought along, you know, friends either in studio or on the phone. We had some great guests. And yeah, so I got to know Andrew really well even before the radio show. But uh, definitely having him in studio, really producing those shows with him is how I got to know him. I, I knew Andrew well enough that I mean, he was at my wedding. We actually had a table that was him and Salman, who used to be on the radio show and uh, Sabes and Munga, those behind the scenes guys from that show. So it was basically like. Andrew was filling in for Dennis at my wedding as well. Like he guest hosted the table at my wedding. I have a great picture. I've posted it on Facebook a couple of times. Uh, It's a great picture of myself, my, my wife, and then Andrew and the rest of those guys. So I knew him really well. And obviously what I always like to point out about Andrew is that yes, politics is very important to him. You could have a great conversation about that, but my most memorable, most fun times were one talking baseball with him and I, I think I have an, the autographed copy of his book that I have, uh, Righteous Indignation. It, it, he actually wrote something along – I'd have to dig it out in one of these boxes. It's probably like right in front of me. But it basically says something like – something about like you know you love Andre Ethier, one of the, the yeah. marginal players for the Dodgers that I didn't like that I think that history has proven me correct on. He wasn't actually yeah. that good. He was just a fan favorite. Yeah. So, uh, but I mean, I, I would go to, you know, I would go to a lot of Dodger games with him. I have some very memorable memories of being at games in the playoffs where the Dodgers got eliminated. Some of it was very brutal to have to sit through, but uh, yeah. And just his excitement for everything was really infectious. And I love talking baseball with him. Uh, he, he had great stories and memories, but it was just fun to be at a game. And he was so funny. That was the thing that I think people who knew Andrew knew how funny he was. But like myself, Andrew and Steve Hayes, who used to write for the Weekly Standard when there was still a Weekly Standard. Yeah, uh, we would, uh, you know, just some of the dumb stuff that the three of us were laughing at a couple of times that we hung out. You know, Andrew had this whole thing about how we were all husky male models and, you know, we would like pose just dumb things like that products that he'd want to share, you know, and, uh, it was, it was just, it was very silly. I mean, it's not that he didn't take the world seriously, but he was able to laugh at it. And, you know, one of the, one of the most vibrant and like full people full of life, the most joyful people I've ever met. Um, you know, the, the last three times I saw him, I didn't even know he had been really not been well the year before and he had had some, some health scares. 
So it was definitely a shock. I, uh, I, I got a call from Larry O'Connor, who obviously knew Andrew very well. And, you know, he does radio in L.A. and D.C. now. And he like before I like before I even had time to process it, he called me to tell me that it was true because obviously him in particular, you read something online. You're like, and you also didn't want it to be true. So, yeah. uh, Yeah. So, I mean, I knew him really well for probably about eight years. And it's something that uh, I always uh, you always want. There's a couple of people I always wonder about what how they would have felt about subsequent elections. Uh, One is Tim Russert who uh, passed away before 2008. Yeah. And then Andrew passed away in early 2012. And there's a lot of people that purport to know what Andrew would have thought about, about Trump and and all that. And and I don't, I mean, I don't think any of them are right. You know, might've loved him, might've been indifferent, might've hated him. Who knows? He would have lived a few more years. He would have been four years older when he ran and he would have had four more years of experiences. I think there are things about Trump that he would have loved like the way that he handles the press. And that's sort of the things that Dennis Miller likes the most about him. But I, so I think that I love when people talk about Andrew. I love when they remember him. What I hate is when they sit they, you know, and, and I've heard the case made for both sides of the argument. He would have hated this. He would have loved this. And it's like, well, you just don't know. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. So I, I, I don't like when people do that, but I love when people, I love when people who even like vehemently disagreed with him, Talk about how much, uh, you know, they missed him. You know, I mean, he had, he had a great story about he was on Bill Maher's show with uh, Seth MacFarlane, you know, the guy who created Family Guy. And obviously, politically, they don't they don't agree on anything. But uh, Seth, you know, had Andrew call his son and he in his cell phone, he did like all the Family Guy voices to Andrew's son, you know. So yeah. it's like people that it was really hard to not like him when you were in the same room as him. Definitely easy to disagree with him. Sure. But uh, he, you know, one of the one of the most likable people that I've ever met, certainly in in show business and definitely in politics. Yeah, which is which is certainly, you know, you can't say that about everyone in the political field, especially, you know, some of the people who subsequently took over, you know, Andrew's company, you know, that that's, you know, we can get into a whole rabbit hole on. on Yeah, well, I mean, look, if you look at breitbart.com there are people who used to be very strongly associated with it that uh have not been there for quite a while yeah you know and uh, i think that's kind of the most disappointing thing the one thing that i'm glad about the site's success is that you know that it's become this this huge website is that you know the money for that goes directly to andrew's widow and their four kids so you know i would never want to see that site not be successful because that directly impacts them and uh, I love his wife, Susie, uh, you know, her father, Orson Bean, just passed away. And yeah. it was right as all this stuff was starting to happen. We, we were there was supposed to be a memorial that first weekend. I think it was the 13th of March and then we weren't able to have it. So, uh, you know, I, 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 I try to very lightly keep in touch with her and just say hi once in a while. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that I, that's what I it's too bad that the word Breitbart kind of has the connotation it has now. And, uh, you know, but I do think that uh, he is still he's still somebody that looms very largely, whether it's people who uh, liked him or disagreed with him. Yeah, well, and that's kind of why I mean, I've always said that in terms of like my political style, I always have kind of identified with Andrew probably closest. I mean, Rush Limbaugh is obviously probably, you know, my second biggest influence actually but i you know i've always said that i'm more of a breitbartarian if if you know i could kind of 
uh, coined that term because, uh, you know, I, I do think that the political arena nowadays is, you know, polarized and there aren't very many people, you know, like Breitbart who you can just, you know, kind of have like a discussion. And, and also, I do think that the, you know, whole notion of politics being downstream from pop culture, you know, that's that's another thing that he was very strong on, you know, that I think is one of the good things that kind of came out of the Trump presidency, if anything. But, um, so kind of moving on, so you mentioned that you met, um, Dennis on the CNBC show, and then you, uh, you did the radio show for eight years, so I wanted to ask you, um, just kind of in general, are there any particular guests or moments of the show that really stood out to you in particular? Well, sure. I mean, we just uh, referenced uh, two of the best guests we could have, sure. which was Andrew Breitbart and Orson Bean, his, uh, his, his father-in-law. Just the stories that Orson would tell about old Hollywood. And if people don't know who he is, they should Google him. I mean, he was at one point he was a, a super lefty to the extent that he was actually blacklisted because he went to a Communist Party meeting to try and impress a girl. He didn't work for a while except for on Broadway. And then, you know, just sort of he found religion. He became very conservative. He sort of opened Andrew's uh, way of thinking, basically. You know, I mean, I would say listening to Rush Limbaugh and having Orson as a father-in-law really had a lot of impact. So those were great. But there were like just showbiz moments that were fantastic. Probably one of my favorite shows we did was a rare time where Dennis was in studio. And there's video footage of this that I think somebody posted on YouTube. I remember we ran cameras that day. So in studio, it was uh, Dennis, myself, Norm MacDonald, and Jason Sudeikis, who was on SNL at the time. Oh, yeah. I, and, I think I've seen that. Yeah. And that was just like, th like, why am I even in this room, much less with a microphone where I can talk into? I think I spoke twice during that. It was just to sit there and watch it was amazing. But, I mean, Norm MacDonald was always one of my favorite guests. And, uh, you know, Norm's just a, a, a fascinating, weird character. So we used to have him on every week uh, when, you know, pretty early in the show. And I always look forward to that. You know, it was always great to have him on. I mean, look, you know, there's other, like, there's sense of, you know, being the producer of the show, you're connecting the call or answering it. So I made I made small talk with, uh, with Tom Hanks while we were waiting to have him on. And like it was, we were doing two segments. He was in Italy filming one of those, uh, one of those Dan Brown movies, the the second one, Angels and Demons, I think. And uh, you know, I was just gonna put him back on hold, but he just made small talk because he's Tom Hanks. You know, he's like America's dad. He's like the most delightful guy in the world. Uh, I I spoke with uh, I spoke with uh, George W. Bush before we connected with him for that interview. So I have a lot of these like personal memories that weren't even on the air because I got to talk to these people, you know, and that was always really fun. And it was like sort of very surreal. Definitely got to meet all sorts of people, but you know, to, to point at high points, Andrew Orson, uh, Norm Macdonald. And look, that, that was the, that's where I started doing the black cast. My podcast was for the website of the Dennis Miller show. I started just thinking, I'm like, well, you know, if I talk about the show and I talk to the guys that I do the show with, I think that could actually be fun. Maybe people would want to hear it. It very quickly kind of got away from that, but that was the thinking of putting it there and doing it. And then by doing it, I felt comfortable enough to guest host for Dennis. There was a day that he was sick. We couldn't have Larry O'Connor as our regular. I asked another one of our regulars. They were out of town. And I was like, I'll just try and do it. And I even told my boss, I'm like, look, I'll do it for an hour if it doesn't go well. 
uh, or if I feel like it's not going well, I'll just we'll just run a best of the other two hours. But it was fun, and I, I don't know, I did it. I might have even done it ten times. I did it a lot, and yeah, that was fun to host a national radio show. And there was a program director in Reno who hated me so much that he wouldn't air those shows. Uh, and I, I forget the the direct quote that he had. But I, it used to be in my Twitter byline was that something about how I'm just very, I'm very vanilla, you know, and uh, I don't know. I took that as a I took that as a badge of courage that somebody disliked me so much that he actually wouldn't air the show the days that I hosted. So, uh, you know, and then sometimes when I was hosting, it was last minute. So I'm like, well, he must have gotten stuck airing the show a couple of times. Uh, and here's the good thing about about this situation is I don't remember the guy's name. I would say it too because uh, I, I dislike this person so much. Yeah. Well, so I'm glad I've forgotten what their name was. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well, I I would I would I would encourage you, you know, to to say that too, so that you know people can go troll him or whatever. But yeah, um, well, I I could probably find it in an old email, but it's good that I don't remember his name. I definitely remember the market though. I'm like, where do you get off? You know, pretend yeah. Vegas. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it it's it's not like there it's not like there are that many you know kind of conservative libertarian types out there in Vegas. You know, either that would. Yeah, so. right. I know, but it's so but that was fun. That, that you know, of course, I I land on the one thing. I mean, I got to talk to some great people by doing that, just because of the way that these press tours work. It's like a specific day and time, and that was the proof that they didn't. Who they so I got to talk to Steve Carell because he was promoting uh, the I think the second Despicable Me, and I got to talk. I mentioned it before. I got to talk to Seth MacFarlane because he was promoting the the uh, the the Western movie that he did. Oh that, yeah, uh, did not perform well at the box office. If you've ever seen that, it's not like awful. It's it's not great, but there's some good jokes. It's just like who's gonna set out and make a comedy Western after Blazing Saddles? You know, it's almost like. It's like, ah, I was done too well. You know, it would be yeah. like if, if, Sam, if you and I decided, let's make a comedy about the search for the Holy Grail. And it's like, wait a minute, that's like the Monty Python movie. Why would you Why would you make another one yeah. of those, you know? Yeah, well, you know, and, and the other thing that, you've, that you guys have kind of become infamous for, uh, too, is, you know, you, you guys have indirectly become, uh, you know, part of the Kiss Lord to a certain extent. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because well. I have the shirt on right now for those watching on YouTube. Uh, you know, just because uh, we're in quarantine doesn't mean that you can't still report for duty in the KISS Army. Absolutely. Exactly. Which, you know, that kind of begs the question, you know, I know that they're in the middle of their of their second or third, you know, farewell tour. I, I, I keep losing track of how many farewell tours we're, uh, we're into now. But, uh, you know, I think... They... This is the second official farewell tour. However, it's this second official farewell tour is scheduled for three years. And look, they're not going to be able to go back on the road this fall. So it's probably going to get stretched out just a little bit longer. So, uh, yeah, but it, one of the last – actually, the last big event that I went to in early March, uh, Will, who I do the podcast with, Will Sterling, we saw Kiss at uh, Staples Center. And that was one of those things when people started – everything started getting shut down. Everybody, uh, I was at an event with 20,000 people, you know, and, you know, look, it's – it's it's Kiss fans. This is you know is hygiene always number one on their list? No, number one is rock and roll all night. Number two is party every day. Somewhere in there, there's time to maybe take a shower. But it was uh it was this sort of like you know once we got to like a couple weeks after it, I texted Will. I'm like all right, I think we're all right. But 
you know, it was it was sort of this this frightening specter at the middle of my life was that I went to this huge event and, you know, I have two small kids and like, am I, did I bring germs into the house? And, uh, you know, uh, it's, uh, but to be able to look back and like, Hey, I was at a big event and people are not going to go to anything like that for a while, you know? So I'm glad I saw kiss when I did because I, who knows when I would be able to see them again, you know? Yeah. Now who's, uh, who has the bigger, bigger, uh, ego, because I know that they've both been on the show, Gene or uh, Paul. Gene or Paul. Gene or Paul. Uh, Gene Simmons, Paul Stanley are both really delightful. Uh, Gene was very cool. I met him uh, last summer. Dennis uh, was doing a TV show where he was filling in for Larry King. We recorded a podcast after, and he was very cool, like t- taking a picture with me. It's actually a very funny picture because, uh, you know, I, you know, I, I leaned in, you know, next to him and he just turned to me and he said, don't grab my ass, you know, and it was just, it was so funny. Um, you know, I think anybody who's worked with them will say that they probably both have, uh, big egos in either way, but I got to meet both of them because of Dennis. So, uh, I'm very excited and they were both really nice to me. Uh, you know, I think that look, you, when you're, when you're accomplished in the way they are, you generate the kind of money they are. Sure, of course, it's gonna it's going to be something where you just at some point realize, like, yeah, the impact that you had on a very specific genre of music and just the amount of money they've made. Gene has a really good sense of humor about him being Gene Simmons, oh. you know. And uh, Paul, I think, is you know, Paul is very comfortable in his own skin now. But if you read his book. He spent a lot of time, you know, just sort of very self-conscious and, uh, you know, I, I think he uh, I think he's very happy now. I think they're both really happy now and they can't believe that they're I think Gene is in his 70s and I think Paul's almost 70 and they're still, you know, putting on the putting on the kabuki makeup and, you know, breathing fire and all that stuff. I mean, it's uh, it's probably pretty crazy for the both of them. Yeah, well, I think I think Gene's kids have certainly kind of, you know, ego checked checked him a bit, too. You know, but also, I mean, when you're part of one of the most legendary rock bands, you know, in history, and you're married to Shannon Tweed, I mean, how do you not have a big, yeah. big ego? So right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, look, it's uh, you know, there when when Kiss was first out and they were uh, putting out all the merchandise, everybody was like, oh, look at it, but they. Every does it now, you know, bands that are supposed to be, you know, beneath this, you know, I mean, it, or it's supposed to be beneath them. I mean, you know, so, yeah, they just sort of revolutionized the idea. I mean, you know, the idea of like selling T-shirts at concerts, it wasn't the what it was now, like, you know, so uh, and and then, you know, they definitely took it to a level no one else has with the uh, jeans line about we have kiss condoms and kiss coffins. We get you coming and Enjoy. going. You know, so it's it's great. I mean, they look, he's got a huge sense of humor about the whole thing, you know, and and I think that when you sit him down and, and talk to him, he's fine to talk about it. But, he, you know, it, it's it doesn't define his life. The fact that he's this member of. Kiss, oh, you know? sure. Yeah. No, he's he you know, he he's definitely very entrepreneurial as well. You look at all the different yeah. ventures that he's in. It's like, you know, holy cow, he does a lot more than just, you know, kiss you know, merchandising. So we've got money bags, soda, 
you know, I don't even remember all of his stuff. And uh, he's like a, a, a representative for like a CBD company, and he's never been drunk or high in his life. But uh, you know, it's uh, it's great. He's uh, you know, if if we could if we could all be the pitchman that Gene Simmons is, I, I think we'd uh, we'd all be well off. Yeah, we yeah we'd all. I mean, financially and also spiritually. Yeah. Um. Now, did did you ever have? Uh, Trump himself on the show. I can't remember if, yeah. if you. No, he was on. I mean, obviously, it was to promote maybe a book, but definitely to promote new seasons of The Apprentice or Celebrity Apprentice is what it would have been at that point. Yeah. Uh, so he was on a couple of times. Yeah. And I mean, Dennis knows him a little bit. And he was on the CNBC show. Uh, so I, I, yeah, I mean, I've seen him. Dennis knew him a little bit. You know, I think uh, I remember a time that they were going to have dinner and it was just too hard to coordinate. This is maybe like 2012 or something but yeah we had trump on we i mean i i at one point i kind of remembered i i think i made a post somewhere on social media of like all the 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 trump related people that we had on sort of early in the in the first term because it was like we had trump on we had don jr on we had steve bannon on we had kellyanne conway on and uh reince previous we used to have on all the time you know and he was uh chairman of the gop and i just i I put all these people together and I couldn't believe that we'd had quite so many on, you know, just who we'd put together. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, but we definitely, the short answer to your question is, uh, yeah, Trump was on a few times, but it was probably usually in relation to the, uh, the celebrity apprentice. Yeah. Well, I mean, he was, you know, before he even got into politics, that was, you know, what he did for, you know, decades was, you know, reality TV. Yeah. Stuff. I mean, I referenced the other day to to a friend. I still remember when he, uh, you know, when he and Vince actually fought at the WWE thing back in like '07. You know, that was. Oh yeah. That was. (laughs) I've seen that. Yeah. Yeah, that was an infamous, uh, you know, moment. So. uh, Yeah. Do you uh, do you follow wrestling, or did you like it when you were a kid, or? Um, uh, I I used to, and then you know, things kind of changed uh you know kind of my line like the rock obviously they moved on to you know other things uh later on but yeah i used to i used to follow it a bit so back in back in the day so um yeah i mean when i, I obviously i'm uh, i'm older than you when my brother uh when i was a kid my brother really liked you know like the the hulk hogan roddy roddy piper yeah. that era so i would see a little of it it was more that there was a cartoon like a, a hulk hogan's rock and wrestling i remember the cartoon yeah. better than i remember actual wrestling and then also obviously hulk hogan and mr t being in rocky three is uh was a kind of a defining moment for me oh sure yeah that that i think that's uh you know that's still you know holds up well i think i think hogan's you know known for that more than he is some of the fights you know he he's been in for sure well you know and and, you know and unfortunately recently he's known for things that he'd rather not be known for yeah yes yeah (laughs) um so i know we're kind of jumping around so in regards to the uh cast you have i mean that show is it's kind of become like the law and order of podcasts because there's you there, but then it seems like there's a kind of a, a revolving, you know, cast on. Yeah. On I mean, the, uh, the black cast, it, it's, you know, it, it changed a little bit from when we started, like when we first started it, it was myself, Will Sterling, who I mentioned before, this guy, Ken, who Dennis nicknamed Coltrane and, uh, a guy uh, named David, whose nickname was Liev. 
Uh, Liev left first uh, before the radio show ended, and he went on to uh, doing mornings and country music radio, which he still does in the L.A. area. Uh, and then uh, he was replaced by this guy, Jeff, who Dennis nicknamed Captain EO, as though Jeff were spelled G-E-O-F-F. That's the, the nature of that. Ah. So, uh, yeah, so that's how Jeff came in. And then uh, we kept doing the podcast afterwards. You know, it was uh, we would kind of get together, you know, every once in a while. We try to record two of them. And, you know, it was fun. It was a way to keep it. I've, I've kept in better touch with those guys because of the podcast, you know, and, and uh, I like them both very much. I like Ken. I like uh, I like Liev. I like those guys all. But it's it sort of so like those are the main guys. And then when I started uh, doing shows at After Buzz, that studio is like five minutes from my house. So that was fun. And uh, one of my co-hosts there, her name is Zia Anderson. She's probably one of my favorite people that I've ever hosted things with. And she's just got the right sense of humor and she's fun. So I've dragged her into sort of being like our, our I, I don't know, like our, our our fourth. You know, she's like kind of like an alternate juror if you like, overextend the, the law and order metaphor. Yeah. So she's, she's on when she can be. Uh, I, I did do a, a zoom conversation with her not that long ago. And, uh, I would, I, I do Marvel movie news with her on popcorn talk. So I still see her digitally or, or remotely like this. Uh, but yeah, so she fit right in. And so she's kind of a regular, but, uh, I'll do a lot of, uh, I'll do a lot of interviews. Like I get asked to interview musicians and authors and things. So I'll do that. I'm always happy to do that. I just think that that's fun, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, and that leads to some weird pairings. There's an episode that I posted a, a, like oh, last week that I, I spoke with the, with an author. Uh, she's a delightful woman. Her name was uh, Kimberla Lawson Roby, and she'd written a book. It was a, it was a spiritual book. And then in that same – the audio version of the episode, uh, I talked to the basis for Megadeth. And you'd think like, well, what those have anything in common? But you actually find pretty quickly in talking to both of them is like, oh, yeah, one, they're both great conversationalists. I had a great conversation. So I kind of like getting those weird mixtures. But I, it's also like I'll talk to friends, people I've hosted with at AfterBuzz, just real-life friends. Yeah. Like our, our current episode, I talked to my friend Brad who lives in Melbourne, Australia. He's a uh, he, he's a like a middle school teacher there. And uh, but we have a lot of the same likes in terms of pop culture and stuff. And I thought it would be interesting of like, OK, well, how is it different in terms of, you know, quarantine, lockdown, whatever you want to call it in Australia? You know, and uh, at this point, it's kind of very much the same. But, you know, sort of the, the start of it was a lot different. And then there's different parts. What I didn't realize is there's different parts of Australia where schools are still open, you know, it, it's, uh, I don't know, it, it's, it, I guess the country is so much bigger than we think about. There's different approaches to different places. So, uh, you know, so I'll talk to, I'll talk to all sorts of people though. That's sort of the, again, this is the long answer to your question. Uh, the, the core guys are Will and Jeff and I like to bring back Ken. I think we're going to have him on soon and I hope to have Liev on soon, but it's really the three of us are the main ones. And then I'll bring in other people, uh, you know, as, as as I see fit. And like I said, doing the show right now here in the bunker, it's like I just want to have a, like a, a nice conversation with somebody. How are they doing? You know, how are you handling this? What are you thinking about? Also, what are you watching? What are you reading? You know, I mean, there's there's a lot of time for that for people that don't have small uh, two small kids like I do. So, you know, it's uh, I, that's what I like about the black cast to sort of wind down this long answer is that it's I always say it's like. Look, it's not for everybody, but there's 
I'm going to bet that there's one episode that is for everybody because it is so different. Like I'll do long form interviews about a variety of topics. I'll talk about comic books. Uh, I'll, I'll talk to people about, we just talked about kiss before I've done. Yes. Talked about music. I've talked about, you know, uh, movies. I've talked about a specific movie. Uh, I did a whole episode on the horrifying Alf Christmas special last year at Christmas time. You know, that's like literally the most depressing 45 minutes you could watch at Christmas time. I, I challenge everyone to watch the Alf Christmas special and not be bummed out afterwards. Yeah, uh, it's it's not as it's not as like I don't think that's as bad, though, as one time when uh, I actually live tweeted with you guys to the uh, Star Wars holiday special. Um, oh, yeah, that was that rough. Was, yeah. That was like some of the... I mean, there's something to... You can get a level of enjoyment from the Star Wars holiday special. It's just... It's so bad. It's so many bad choices were made. But what I always say about that is like the commercials are super interesting because it's like the Egg McMuffin was new from McDonald's and they're introducing it. I'm like, well, that's exciting. Look at how brand new the Egg McMuffin was. What? McDonald's for breakfast? Who would ever do that? You know, and there's toy commercials. And then there's, you know, depending on the version of it you watch, there's a a very famous uh, uh, news promo where the anchors fighting the frizzies. More at 11, you know, and, and South Park parodied that guy in their Christmas special, their, like, second season. So it's like the, the Star Wars Christmas special is such an important piece of pop culture. I completely understand why uh, George Lucas wanted to bury it. There's a pretty cool Boba Fett cartoon, though. I'm not going to lie about that. Yeah. But, yeah, it's, it's so bad. And it's, like, it's clearly what happens when you don't maintain the level of control over your intellectual property that – you know, honestly, Star Wars has done ever since. They learned that lesson early. You know? Yeah, although, although to be fair, I, I I do think I actually know some people who are who after uh, after the uh, after the Last Jedi came out. I have a couple friends who are like, well, I can't believe I'm saying this, but the Star Wars Christmas special is actually better than this. So. Well, I, I did that a little bit to troll people. Uh, I After I saw The Rise of Skywalker, I ranked all the Star Wars movies. And uh, so I put, I, I forget, you know, I put all the movies, whatever the order is. Uh, and, and anybody, you look, you can take the original trilogy, four, five, and six, and put them in any order. But once you don't have them as one, two, and three, I already disregard your list as being something serious. It's like, no, Revenge of the Sith is not better than Return of the Jedi. I don't care how many times people say it. It's like, it's it's an original trilogy movie. Yeah. It's better than everything. But what I did is I, I ranked them, and uh, I actually thought the, the Han Solo movie was fun. I enjoyed that. So I legitimately liked that more than Last Jedi, because I watched Last Jedi for the only the second time, possibly the last time, the night before I saw Rise of Skywalker. And I, cause I remembered that I, I was like, oh, I didn't love this movie. And then I'm like, oh, it's so much worse than I remembered. And, you know, people are very defensive about that movie, uh, uh, including uh, Will Sterling, who I do the podcast with, uh, and Zach Wilson, that I do Marvel Movie News with. They love that movie. I'm like, great. I wish I could love that movie, but I don't. I, I find it to be incredibly bad and, and in so many ways. So, anyway, what I did is I ranked everything. And prior, and so I had the, uh, the the last Jedi was ranked last. Above that was Star Wars Christmas Special. Above that was the first Ewoks TV movie, uh, and then the uh, the second Ewoks TV movie. And I think I might have even put one more thing in there to be obnoxious. Maybe the uh, no, I wouldn't have put the the, the there's these old uh, 
these old NPR uh, Star Wars radio dramas that are actually really well produced. Oh, yeah. I should have put those in there. Oh yeah, I've I've, I've heard I've heard. I've heard some of those. Yeah, I mean, yeah, those. Yeah, those are those were great. Yeah, I mean, Mark Hamill did voices in those, and uh, I think John Lithgow was uh, was Yoda in the Empire Strikes Back one. Uh, there's just some like really recognizable names in, in in that, and yeah, I mean, the radio dramas were actually a lot of fun. I would rank the radio dramas above all the prequels and uh, all three of the J.J. Abrams, whatever you want to call the sequel trilogy. Yeah, well, as, as someone who grew up with the uh, Star Wars Expanded Universe, uh, you know, novels and comic books, which I think you've actually had a couple of the authors for those graphic novels, or, or at least the artists for... Yeah, I've, I've, I've talked, I talk very regularly to Dave Dorman, who painted the covers for, uh, let's see, this, the... The comic series was called Dark Empire. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, after every Star Wars movie comes out, I'll always have him on the podcast and we'll talk to him. I, I met him because he was a fan of Dennis. And um, I think we used to do the show in Chicago once a year. So he came a couple of times and I think we auctioned off uh, like a painting he did for charity. He did like a painting of Optimus Prime or uh, something like that. Anyway, so, yeah, so I've talked to him uh, a few times. Uh, yeah, Dave's no, Dave's a great guy. Yeah, no, I I have both of those, you know, comics behind me here in, in the bookcase somewhere, and it, it's just I, I heard so I heard one of your interview, and I'm like, well, I wish those were still canon at least because they're uh, you know they're better than the rise of of Skywalker. So uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, I I think that those stories were great, and they you know I read some of the novels that you know, the, uh, the Timothy Zahn or the empire novels. Uh, but I, I fell off pretty quickly just because the books were coming out so much and I was still reading comics every, every week. So it, there was, there was only so much time I had at that point, especially like once I got to college, yeah. I, I just, uh, I definitely fallen off by them. But yeah, I mean, I think that the heir to the empire and dark empire stories were better tellings of that era. I think if, you know, they obviously it was a Disney decision. I think if the sequel trilogy wasn't as invested in having the old characters again, if you had just told a new story in that universe with new characters, I think it might have taken a little while. But I think I think it would have served them better, you know, than just sort of like, yeah, but but where's but where's Lando, you know, stuff like that. Uh, I don't. I had fun. I had a lot of fun with Rise of Skywalker. I was like, I don't know. I don't know what people wanted from the end of this specific trilogy, but uh, I I thought that one was actually a lot of fun, uh, especially because I had watched Last Jedi the night before, and it was not fun. It was the opposite of fun. Yeah, yeah. Rise of Rise of Skywalker. I go I go back and forth on. Uh, I mean, I I think that they they did the best they could with uh, you know what with what Last Jedi, you know, gave them to work with. I, I feel like, had Last, had Last Jedi not been the train wreck that it was, they might have gone a different direction for, you know, Rise of Skywalker, but... Yeah, I mean, J.J. Abrams wasn't supposed to direct Episode Nine. This guy Colin Trevorrow was, and so... I think had they ended up knowing that he was going to do episode nine, they probably would have had him do episode eight as well, because you would have had some kind of consistency in the storytelling. You, you know, you wouldn't have had to kind of undo things from episode eight and episode nine. And, uh, you know, there were people who were very upset with it. Uh, 
I was just like, yeah, but the things they that he undid were the things I liked the least, so I'm not going to have a problem with that, you know? So, I don't know. Look, it's tough. It's you know, these fandoms are incredibly divisive, and when you go back in on people's youths, whether it's whether they grew up with the the prequel trilogy, you know, like uh, Will Sterling, who I do the podcast with, he's in his early 30s. He saw he saw um, the Phantom Menace. He think he saw it in theaters like eight times, you know, when he was a kid. I mean. It's uh, and 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 that that's not the worst one, by the way. Don't don't let anybody tell you that the Phantom Menace is the worst of those movies. No, At least it has no, Darth Maul in it. It's I still say it's the middle one because yeah. the this the scenes with Hayden Christensen and Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman is a phenomenal actress. She's so but he made her so bad in that movie. Like Hayden Christensen's badness made Natalie Portman seem terrible. And I was just like, that's the dark side at work right there to make a talented actress look so bad. Yeah, well, well, that and also, I mean, they they made he made the character of Anakin so creepy and stalkerish. I'm like, okay, I'm not I'm not sure that Darth I'm not sure that Darth Vader is supposed to be a is supposed to be a stalker. I don't think that's really the point of. Uh... <laughs> yeah, how did you how did you turn Anakin Skywalker into Keith Olbermann? yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah um, i don't know but yeah so anyway it's uh but the, that's what i was gonna say is when you go back into these fandoms and and you change anything you know it's uh you know and it, it's uh it's the same thing with star trek you know i i find uh, star trek discovery to be one of the best shows on television and i don't know at least the last five years maybe the last 10 but because it took a different approach to star trek people were very upset with it and they even kind of caved into some fan service and undid some things at the end of the second season. Uh, and then, you know, a, a, a Doctor Who, I mean, they have a they have a female doctor now. And it's like the problem with that show isn't her. It, it's these terrible stories that they have her running around it, you know, uh, and it, that so people are like, oh, they they need to bring back a man doctor. And I'm like, sure, they probably could one day. She's not bad. They just give her bad stories. And I think that that's what it comes down to a lot of times, you know, for any of these things, you know, I mean, uh, uh, the, the one that I never got was Battlestar Galactica because the reboot was re- really good and dark and gritty. The original I loved as a kid, but it was so silly. It yeah. was like, it was like a rip off of star Wars at every turn, basically, you know, and like they turned it into its own thing. And I'm like, Oh, this is so much better than the original, uh, you know? And it's like, Oh, but uh, Starbucks is a woman now. I'm like, well, so what, you know, it's like, uh, it's it, 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 they turned it into something. It was like an allegory for nine eleven. You know, I mean, they they really did something interesting with it, and that to me, that's why it was great. It's because you took something, and you didn't just try to make it different. You actually succeeded in in taking that framework and putting it towards something else. So, I don't know. But anytime you change anything that people love, it's like no, no. I just want it to be exactly the same as as it ever was. You know. Well. Well, what did you think of the uh, of the Mandalorian? I'm I'm curious. I haven't had a chance to listen to those episodes of the Black Cast. Yet. Yeah, I love the Mandalorian. Did you see it? Yeah, I. Oh yeah. Yeah, I thought it was great. I felt like when it was over, I was jealous of anybody who was going to binge it and be able to just watch it in like a weekend or maybe even one sitting, because I did an after show for Afterbus for it, so I, I I would watch it. I I think it would. Yeah, I would watch it like first thing in the morning. And then we would do the show in the late morning, and uh, it was so hard to wait for those weeks because of the the uh, cliffhangers that they had. Uh, I thought it was great. It was uh, I think it was smart because 
it wasn't a show about Boba Fett. It was like in the universe, but it didn't give us any of our characters. And I, I that's that's kind of what I think you needed. And I found him to be really interesting and engaging. And obviously, uh, I, I know his name is the child, but we all call him Baby Yoda because he's a baby Yoda. You know, nobody actually thinks that's Yoda as a baby, but it is a baby version of Yoda. And it just it was so well done, like at every turn, like they, you know, the the effects were, um, you know, uh, cinematic quality. I thought that the stories were great. I thought it was a really engaging story all the way around. You had some some great acting, some great guest stars, you know, Ming-Na Wen, Bill Burr of all people were, was on it, you know. So I don't know. I really loved it. I know there are people who thought that the, that it was a little slow and anybody who found the pacing of the Mandalorian slow, I challenge you to watch Star Trek Picard because uh, Star Trek Picard, I love seeing Patrick Stewart as anything. Charles Xavier, uh, 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 you know, as in Jean-Luc Picard. Great. But the first like four episodes, you're like, yeah, this could have been two, you know, but I didn't feel that at all with the Mandalorian. Anyway, that's my thoughts on the Mandalorian. What did you think of the Mandalorian? Yeah, no, I like. I like the Mandalorian as well. I'm I'm also a uh, big fan of Pedro Pascal and you know General too. Ever ever since uh, you know Narcos, that that was a that was another series I I loved. And I always I always make the joke that well, it was cool to see you know Juan Carlo Esposito, you know Gus Fring from Breaking Bad as an Imperial. Yeah, I know Gus Fring was in that. Yeah, as an Imperial, <laughs> it's it's too bad that we that we couldn't get Grand Moff uh, Escobar or. <laughs> or, um, hey, maybe season two, <laughs> or, anyth- or anything like yeah. that, bringing the whole thing full circle. But no, yeah. I, uh, I definitely think that you know, as someone who you know is also a bit jaded by the, you know, by the sequel trilogy and what we got. I, I feel like this is this is the Star Wars that you know people actually you know want, where they, where they focus a lot more on you know actually like developing new characters and not just trying to you know shoehorn in the you know the skywalker legacy all the time yeah i mean i think that it came at the perfect time because it was a there was this very divisive moment of you had your well i was gonna say there's two camps but i guess there's three you have your last jedi people you rise of skywalker people and then you have your people who hate all of them but everybody not everybody Almost everybody agreed on Mandalorian. For the most part, everyone liked it. And that was like, yeah, that's what Star Wars is supposed to be. It's all it's supposed to be so great that we can't help but love it, you know? Yeah, and, and even if and even if like every aspect isn't perfect, you know, that there are certainly there are certainly aspects to it that everyone everyone likes. Like, you know, yeah, the the dialogue might be a little you know, this isn't one of my criticisms, but like someone I I know thinks that like the the dialogue was you know wasn't that great in the Mandalorian. Well, the the dialogue isn't that great in the, even the original you know movies either. No, so, I mean the 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 original Star Wars in particular had some really bad dialogue. Oh. I mean, uh, Carrie Fisher was very vocal about some of the lines that they had to read that George insisted on, and you know, yeah, I mean, look, and and you can't criticize performances in any Star Wars property without going back to you know Mark Hamill in the first one. Uncle Owen, this one has a bad motivator. It's like, shut up, kid. You know, he's so bad in it, in all honesty. There's moments where he's great, but there are times where you're just like, this is the kid who passed the audition? Like, really? But, this guy? But I wanted to go to to Antarchy Station to pick up some power converter. Yeah, exactly. Converters. You're just like, shut up. 
you know, so. give me the keys to your land speed, but you're not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's like really this one is the this one is the chosen one to uh, you know save the yeah right I know he's gonna save all of us this we're, kid <laughs> we're 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 screwed so <laughs> yeah exactly um but yeah no I I think I think the Mandalorian is uh, you know pretty good you know like I think you know I I think basically what they've done I think it's a little maybe a little played out but I feel like they turned. Uh, the Mandalorian into basically John Wick in space a lot of the time, too. Yeah, which... there's def- yeah, there's definitely moments where you're like, oh yeah, well he sure got out of that somehow. Yeah, exactly. I mean that's uh, that's yeah. I, I think there's definitely an element of that, but it was always cool to see him do it. Yeah, I mean, for me anyway. Yeah, and uh, and and someone else pointed out, it's like, geez, he sure he sure uses that uh, flamethrower, you know, a lot. That thing that thing never runs out of. Gas, it seems. But then they did have it run out in the final episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but by the way, if I had a flamethrower, I'd use it all the time. I'd be roasting marshmallows. I'd make toast that way. You know, I mean, I would come up with very practical applications for my flamethrower. Yeah. Um, You know, now with this quarantine, because I I know that they were shooting season two almost immediately after they started, you know, after they wrapped season one, they basically started filming season two. And now... I'm curious, you know, this is the big question, like we mentioned earlier, with, you know, kind of quarantine and everything, you know, everything's getting delayed. I mean, even James Bond, which was supposed to come out this month, got delayed. Yeah, yeah, it would have come out, uh, I think, last weekend. And yeah, I mean, look, they, I mean, that movie was done. That's easy. Black Widow was supposed to come out May 1st. You have some of these big tentpole movies. And, uh, you know, the first movie that changed its schedule was Fast and Furious was like, yeah, we're just going to come out next year. I'm like, what? But as time's gone on, you're like, oh, they were probably the smart ones to just go to next year because, look, Wonder Woman 84 moved from June to August. I'm like, our movie theater is going to be open in August? Maybe. And who's going to how many people are going to then want to go into those movie theaters, you know? Uh, so it, it's a valid question. My understanding is that they finished the photography on Mandalorian, but they obviously have a lot of effects work to do. And I think that those properties, they don't let you work remotely from home. So I think that they might've had to stop on that stuff. Uh, you know, like the, there's a Marvel movie that was supposed to come out in November called the Eternals. Uh, that I think is, is done, but they're not going to get their effects work done in time. So right now it's scheduled to come out in February. So uh, I think that there's a lot of things, but there's other shows. You know, there's other Disney Plus shows. There's Disney Plus shows that are Marvel Universe shows. Uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, Loki, and this show WandaVision about Scarlet Witch, that those were all in different levels of production, and they all stopped very abruptly. So we were supposed to get Falcon and Winter Soldier in August, and if we do, it won't be a complete season, I think. I, I think any of these shows that, you know, say Mandalorian, that there were supposed to be eight again, and they're like, well, we have four of them done. Great. Put four out whenever it was supposed to come out. And then you'll do like season 2.5 when you're able to finish it, you know, because it's like people aren't going anywhere. And look, even when when you can start going places, I think a lot more people are going to be more comfortable of like, you know, instead of going to the movies, let's watch this thing on Disney Plus or whatever. So I, I hope that people are keeping that in mind of giving us at least partial content when it comes to uh, to TV, you know. Uh, TV series and things like that. Yeah, well, and then in the meantime, it's interesting that you've brought up Disney Plus because, I mean, as someone who grew up with the original 
Amazing Spider-Man show from the '90s, like having that whole library has been, you know, very interesting to kind of. It's great having that in the uh, the X-Men animated series, which I'm a, a huge proponent of the X-Men animated series because they they were really uh, they were really respectful of the source material. Uh, I'm going to repurpose this interview for the Blackcast soon, but for. Uh, for AfterBuzz, I did a special of a show that I used to do every week called Marvel TV Weekly. I spoke with the the creator and his wife, who was also a writer, uh, a writer on the animated series because they wrote a book. His name's Eric Lewald and his uh, wife Julia. We had a great conversation about that show, and there's I love that's one of the things I love about Disney Plus is the renewed excitement for the X-Men animated series, which was like something that my little sister and I watched together. That was sort of like the first like nerd thing that we could bond over. And that sort of bridges the gap between me, you know, doing some of the shows that I do at After Buzz. You know, I'm in my mid forties. I'm talking to people in their late twenties, early thirties, but we all loved X-Men the animated series. You know? Yeah. Uh so uh it's great. And look that Spider Man show is also great, but the X Men sh- the X Men characters are so near and dear to me. I love Spider-Man as well, but just that show was done so well and I was so happy with the way it was done. Um, I do love that you're of an age where you called that the original uh, Spider-Man series, which of course I had a series when I was a kid called Spider-Man and his amazing friends, which is also on there. It's not, it's, it's for kids for sure, but I've shown that to my kids because, you know, Shows that were for like 10 year olds in 1983 are pretty good for four year olds in 2020, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I, I think that the 90s Spider Man might be a little too scary for him. So it, it's a little bit of a, of a more childlike sensibility. So I love watching those shows with my son because there's a. There's episodes with like, there's a there's a great one. If you're gonna watch any episode of Spider Man as Amazing Friends, watch one called Seven Little Superheroes because Doctor Strange is in it, Captain America's in it. Uh, let's see who else is in it. I forget now. Uh, oh, Prince Namor, the Submariner, uh, you know, the, and uh, the Chameleon. So that one's good. There's one. I think there's two with the X Men in it. So there's stuff to be found in all this stuff. But the uh, having those '90s shows is great. And then there's more recent shows that I haven't even seen. The one thing I was disappointed about that's not on Disney Plus because I guess Sony owned it outright and it was a partnership with Viacom. There was an MTV animated Spider-Man where uh, Neil Patrick Harris was the voice of Peter. It was right after the uh, the first Sam Raimi movie, I think. So they wanted it to be a little bit more, I don't, you know, I, not adult, but for like older kids, you know, maybe for teenagers. And uh, that show you can't get on Disney Plus, which is a little disappointing because I think most people, one, don't remember it. And you can find it. You can buy the whole series on Amazon, but it's like I don't know. I don't even know how much it is. It's it's like twenty five dollars if you want to buy it. So it's like, it's like well, I'd sure like to have it for something I'm already paying for. But uh, yeah, I mean, look the 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 shift in the level of quality on animated series in the ninety in the nineties was very apparent to me because I grew up in the eighties when everything was for kids and little kids and you had to keep the little kids in mind. And you know, the movies that we had, I mean, there, there's a, there's a Roger Corman fantastic four movie that I think he made for a million dollars. 
it didn't actually come out. So you have to, I, I bought like a bootleg video cassette of it at a, uh, at a comic book convention. The same day I bought my copy of the star Wars Christmas special. So I was very excited. I bought these two VHS cassettes that are somewhere in this room. And, uh, you know, uh, the, but there's a 1990 captain America that is so bad. This guy, Matt Singer plays captain America. There's a t- TV movie of Dr. Strange from the seventies. There's a Spider-Man TV series live action from the seventies where his webs are literally like ropes that come out of it. You know, it's, yeah. it, you know, it's it, it to finally get good stuff, which really was like the first X-Men movie, the first Sam Raimi movie. The sequels of both of those are still two of my favorite superhero movies, uh, X2 and Spider-Man 2 with Alfred Molina as Dr. Ock. Those are oh, two of yeah. my favorite superhero movies. I think those are so well done. And you know, it just sort of is like, you know, and look, you don't get that without the Tim Burton Batman. You do the Tim Burton Batman. People are like, oh, wait, we can make these movies good. OK. Yeah. Because like I, I, I have a soft spot in my heart for the Richard Donner Superman. It's a little hokey. And the the second one is OK. But man, the, the two sequels are so bad that it was like it really Superman three and Superman four really set back really set back uh superhero movies for uh, probably not 10 years but at least five you know it was like you were on a good trajectory and it's like nope superhero movies equal garbage well yeah well well so the tim burton the it's interesting that you bring up the tim burton batman movies because i mean those are two of my favorite you know batman and the batman 89 and then you know batman returns and then you get um you get Batman and Robin, which is just kind well, of like... Well, don't forget, before that, you get Batman Forever, which Batman Forever, also directed by Joel Schumacher, it's not great. It's not as bad as Batman and Robin. And my hot take on Batman movies is Val Kilmer is still my favorite Bruce Wayne out of all the Bruce Waynes, and that includes Christian Bale, because he played him right. I, I think Michael Keaton, it, it, him as Batman was great. I didn't I, – I, something about Michael Keaton as Bruce Wayne I never quite bought. And then Christian Bale didn't have the, the spoiled millionaire aspect of it or billionaire, excuse me. Uh, so Chris, so Val Kilmer is actually my favorite Bruce Wayne, not my favorite Batman. Uh, but uh, I, I think that, that that was good. But once you bring Robin in and then that next one has, has Batgirl too, that's when you're like you're going into the territory you shouldn't be, you know? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, the the writing on that was just, it was so bad that, you know, that, that kind of, you want to talk about superhero movie setbacks, that one, you know, that one really set back, you know, superhero. Well, he's talked about this on the air, but did you know that, uh, that Dennis did a, uh, a punch up, a rewrite on Batman and Robin? They didn't use any of the stuff he wrote, but he actually wrote a version of it. I actually, on, on one of the YouTube channels I subscribe to, uh, and I, I was actually going to, to text you about, about this or message you, but on one of the YouTube channels I follow, someone actually somehow got a hold of that, you know, write-up somehow that Dennis did. And, That's interesting. Uh, I'd like to see if, I'd like to see if, if, if it's really that script. I've I've read the uh, the Kevin Smith uh, Superman Return script that he did, which basically takes the death of Superman and the return of Superman and turns it into a movie. Yeah, uh, I didn't believe that that was really out there, and then I did see it. So yeah, I mean, look, Dennis turned in that script to somebody, so I'm sure it exists somewhere at Warner Brothers. So it's not impossible that somebody gets it. Uh, but there, he's told me a couple of jokes that he put in it. So if, if those jokes aren't in that script, then I feel like it's probably not really his, but I'd be fascinated to read that, to, to read Dennis's take on a, on a Batman movie. 
You know, I I don't know. I think that would be interesting. Yeah, well, I, I well I, I feel like his I feel like his jokes would be a lot um you know would would be a lot better than some of the ones we we got in Batman and and Robin for for sure. So, yeah, well, one of them he's he said on the air what it was. It, it's uh uh what's her name Barbara the who's Batgirl. So uh, Alicia Silverstone. So you know. Superhero movies have a lot of these sequences where you put on your suit and you get on all the gear and, you know, it's like a very big oh, dramatic yeah. moment. Uh, I I just uh, last uh, earlier this week, I live tweeted the uh, the director's cut of Daredevil, the Ben Affleck Daredevil. And uh, it's a bit of a mess, but there's some good stuff in it. And there it has one of those moments and we're like, oh, yeah, every superhero movie used to have this where you're getting the suit on and everything. And so uh, Batgirl gets the suit on and then. She uh, does sort of a it's a very funny moment where she takes a step back and she has to like look at at her closet and then think about what she wants to wear, you know, sort of like that. I'm dressed, but it's like, oh, what purse goes with that? You know, sort of like that very like legitimate moment. And it's like it's a funny moment. It's not in the movie. And Dennis explains it better than I do. But I was like, oh, that's great. I love that. Uh, I, I love that he you know, brought that kind of a sense of humor to it. So, yeah, if we could all read Dennis Miller's uh, Batman and Robin, I think it would, at the very least it would be an entertaining read. In, in regards to, to Dennis and his sense of humor, because people, people, people actually always ask me about this because I actually get a lot of Dennis's arcane references and – in uh, humor, how much of that is a bit that that, Den- that Dennis does, and then how much of that is kind of like? I mean, he knows everything that he's referencing. You know, uh, I'm in a position where I I I know. Look, on a good day, I'll know half of it, and then some of it I can fake because of the context he uses it in. And then there's times I'm just like, I have no idea what that is. And yeah, it's. It, you know, uh, look, Google is my friend because a lot of times he says something, I look it up, I'm like, okay, now I know what that is in case there's a follow-up. Uh, but there's a lot of like really deep stuff and that's what I think always appealed to me just as as a fan. I mean, uh, you know, when – let's see how old – when I first started watching uh, Saturday Night Live regularly, Dennis did Weekend Update on there and it was uh, – it very quickly became my favorite part of the show just because I'm like, this guy this doesn't – I don't know if we're allowed to swear or not, but uh, oh, oh, you know, he, oh, yeah, you you can you yeah, can fucking this, swear. Yeah, <laughs> this guy, this this guy, you know the the phrase that we use now. This this guy doesn't give any fucks, and he's just there. He's telling jokes and he's killing with these monster jokes. And you find out later he wrote almost all of them with this guy Herb Sargent, who had been a producer on SNL forever. You know, and it, it's so he was so good. And his uh, his first comedy album, I, I actually have it on cassette somewhere in here uh, called the Off White Album. It's so funny. There's there's bits in there that I still that I still try to get him to say once in a while, just because it makes me uh, it makes me so happy. So what I liked about him was I loved the references and the sub references and just you know how deep it was. It was why I, I, I sort of in the same time I loved the the series that at that point was on Comedy Central, uh, Mystery Science Theater three thousand, just because it, there were so many jokes packed into them making fun of these bad movies that some of them you're just like I think that joke was just for me. It was so obscure, you know. So I, I love I love that level of stuff. I love when when Dennis does that, and it's funnier to me when it's like so out there. I have I, I have no idea what it is when I can't even figure out how to Google what it is. Like that's a good rap. Yeah, well, it, well, and that and that well, and that's what I always that's what I always tell people if I if I turn them on to Dennis's humor. I'm like, look, don't don't feel bad if you have to pull up to pull up, you know, Google. I I almost 
I have sometimes wondered if, you know, when talking to if people are like, hang on, Dennis, I've got to pull up, pull up uh, Google to see what you're... What there, you're... there are people that they interview, like, uh, I'm trying to remember, there's somebody recently, it might have been Frank Caliendo, who, uh, who's, yeah, great impression, he's a very yeah, funny guy. Love... Yeah, and, and by the way, to, to give a plug, Dennis is on Frank Caliendo's podcast, I think that's going up today when we're talking Sunday, uh, April 19th. Uh, at the very least, it'll be up by tomorrow. I haven't even heard it yet. Dennis called me afterwards and said, "Oh, I think you should check it out because he and he never does that after an appearance. He was so he was so excited for me to see it because he thought that it was so fun and so funny. So, uh, but anyway, yeah, Frank Caliendo, when he was on about a month ago, he there were a couple of moments where he's like, ah, "Hang on, I got to write these down so I can look them up." So you get that a lot. And yeah, look, I mean, it's like it, it's Dennis will say that's his monkey trick, and it's uh, it's kept food on the table for. I don't know, 35, 40 years, whatever he says. So, uh, yeah, and I think uh, it's 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 one of those things that's not for everybody, but, it, it, you know, there's a there's going to be references that that speak to people uh, on there uh, of, of most age groups. And, you know, look, I think that's uh, that's the thing that's uh, uh, most unfortunate. There's a lot of reasons that the, the political divide in this country are unfortunate. One is the fact that people will say things like Dennis Miller used to be funny, but it's like, well, if you just, if you just pay even a little bit of attention, he's still incredibly funny. Nobody, nobody can synthesize a joke in the way he does. You know, we used to do the CNBC show and you know the, the writers would turn in all the jokes and he'd look at it on the teleprompter and he's like, no, that's not right. And he's like, he'd think about it. He'd say it a couple different ways out loud. He changed, and then when he read it again, you're like, that one word actually made it so much funnier. And his mind has probably always worked that way. He still does that, and I think that you know, he, it's such a it's such a funny, fertile comedy mind that it's like, yeah, there's certainly I don't know. Look, if you can't laugh at a at a joke that you disagree behind the ideology of, then you know, being, being in or around comedy probably isn't for you. You know, I mean, I think you have some great people. Look, uh, Chappelle's done very well with that recently. Bill Burr, uh, Jim Norton, I think is great too. Like these are all, these are all guys who are great and they say things that I'm like, I don't even know if I agree with that, but it was so funny. I don't care. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, well, probably one of my favorite stand up uh, you know, comedians, although, you know, Probably I, I shouldn't publicly admit to, to this, but people already know is uh, you know Louis C.K. I, I mean I look Louis, Louis C.K. was so funny. I saw him do ninety minutes once, uh, and I was just like, you know, you're used to like comedians usually do about an hour, and I'm like, I don't know how he packed it all in. And yeah, look, you can say that I think Louis C.K. is funny, and that doesn't mean you're saying, oh, I support the way that he masturbated in front of women. No, you don't have to say that. You know, yeah, it's like you you like. Yeah, I I think Chinatown's a good movie, but uh, no, I I don't support Roman Polanski, you know, raping that little girl, you know. So it's it's you know, and so I know that there's a new Louis special, and I actually really want to see it. I just haven't had the time it's, because I'm very intrigued by like I don't doubt that he's still funny. I just kind of wa- I haven't seen him in so long. I'm very interested in in seeing it. Have you seen it, Sam? I actually did. I actually did a review for on my on my uh, channel oh, last cool. week. It, it, I didn't do any spoilers, although I'm I'm probably going to now that you know it's been out for for a while. But I mean, he he is still on top of it as as far as I am concerned, and. I mean, the the other thing is he he's very he's very self-effacing about about it too. I mean, he just he basically starts off, you know, with like, so how have your last two years 
you know, <laughs> be- that's good. Ben. Yeah. So, you know, he just, he, you know, he basically, I mean, he, he makes, he apologizes for, he apologizes for it, but doesn't really apologize for a sense of humor. I guess that, you know, that's, yeah. that's the best way all, that's the best yeah, way look, I'll I, it. Look, I, I like, I like Louie. I want to see the special. I do think that somebody who doesn't like him, and I don't remember who it was, did have a really funny uh, comment on it. It's like, oh, great. Just like Louis C.K. to drop a new special on us when none of us can run away. So I actually, I'm like, you know what? That's funny too. You know, it's like, so, you know, you, it's like you, it, a funny joke is a funny joke, you know? And it was uh, it's something that I, I, I learned from Dennis, but something my brother pointed out to me a long time ago. It's like, look, if you can't laugh at something you like, you know, look, we were we were making fun of the band Kiss before. I love the band Kiss mostly because I liked them when I was a kid. But it's it's there's so much ridiculousness associated with that band. The fact that there is a Kiss coffin, well, that's fine. It's all very funny, and you know, and I think people take politics way too seriously. And look, there's a level of it that it is very serious. You know, it, it's very important, especially. You know, when it gets to be a, a presidential election year, sure, I understand that there's a there's people who feel very strongly one way or the other, but that doesn't mean that there isn't anything funny about it. You know, it's like if if you don't like Trump, you could probably still laugh at a couple things about him, though. And look, if you don't like Joe Biden, it's still very easy to laugh at him. You know, I mean, it just he he kind of writes his own jokes. But for me, I think that they're both very funny, ridiculous cartoon characters you know in in their own ways and there's a lot of things that are funny about both of them and you know just sort of like it's hard for it's hard to handle talking to people who are just like like oh we shouldn't joke about that it's like no you can joke about anything if you do it right you know it's like there there are jokes that you're like a really funny joke you're laughing and while you're thinking like man that is just wrong you know yeah and it's like it doesn't mean that you think that that this bad behavior is really bad in real life. I mean, that, that it is good in real life. You're not supporting it, you know. I mean, you know, Ricky Gervais has has a bit from one of his specials, uh, you know, about it's not even really about kitty porn. It just sort of it just sort of like it headed into there, and it's like I'm laughing at it not because I think that that's a good thing, you know. It's just it's funny that that's the turn it took, and it's like it's fine, you know. It's like he's just on a stage telling jokes. That's what everybody's doing, you know. And I mean, I look, I, I think that the problem gets to be when people aren't comedians as much as they feel like they're there to preach, you know. I think that you know, in her heyday, Janine Garofalo was very funny. I don't think she tells jokes anymore. She might, but I don't. I don't know that she does. I don't even know what she does anymore. You know, you have people like that, like Sarah Silverman, one of the funniest, dirtiest comics ever. I think she's still funny, but I don't know where to find her being funny because, you know, I know she did a show for Hulu that I don't think it I think it was more of a serious show. She had a sketch show that uh, Brian Posehn and some other people were on. I thought was very funny, but that was like 15 years ago. Yeah. So it's it's like people who can still be funny. It's great. And I don't actually I don't think we should care so much about what their ideology is. You know, it's like, are they telling funny jokes? great you know yeah well and that and that's why that's why i love that's why i love dave Chappelle. you know and, and again going back to going back to louis and this is this is kind of like another reason why i've kind of dipped out of doing this show you know strictly political because this podcast used to be more political and now it's more like you know a, a political you know kind of comedy show i i I stole a lot of cues from uh, you and Dennis for this podcast when I kind of revamped it. But, um, yeah, like, like one of the things that, you know, I've kind of gotten some heat on is I think Louis C.K. actually did a bit on abortion a few years ago that I thought was, 
you know, genius. And I'm I'm pretty pro life myself, but it's it's still a great it's still a great bit that he yeah. does. No, I look and and it's like I, I don't know. Look, he's I, I don't I don't know. I'm not quite sure I know the bit, but I've heard bits about it. And in general, somebody isn't saying, you know, you know, what's really funny is abortion. No, but it can make you laugh because you're unex- it's unexpected. You know, I mean, it's a. Uh, uh, you know, it, it it is it's a divisive hot button issue, sure, but it's also like, I don't know, it's like you can pr- there's there's ways in which you can laugh about it, and where you're not really tr- trying to make a political point. That you know, look, a joke that is funny and makes your political point, sure, that that's good too. But it you don't necessarily need that, you know. And you know, if I were to think about you know some of the specials and and things that I've watched, you know, especially yeah, somebody like Chappelle, somebody like Louis, it's like yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's wrong in there. But see, you're saying you're pro-life, but you can laugh at an abortion bit because why not? You know, I mean, it's if it makes you laugh, it makes you laugh, and you don't have to then break down. But my actual feelings about the issue, it's like you don't need that. Yeah. You know, it's like it's fine. You feel the way you want to, and. and uh, and and Louis feels the way he wants to, you know, and I, I don't know. And I also think that, you know, people's opinions are able to change on any of this stuff, you know? So it's like, it's okay to, it's okay to laugh at something. And yeah, I mean, that's kind of the, the, the worst thing. I haven't been at a actual comedy show in a little while. The last one I was at was, uh, I, wow, it might've been Dennis's special taping, which was like almost two years ago now in Knoxville. And I wasn't like in the audience much. But, you know, you do get a lot of, like, people looking around, like, is it okay to laugh at this, you know? Uh, so I think that that's kind of the, the worst part of where we're at culturally, not even politically, is just everybody's like, oh, I want to laugh at this, but should I, you know? And, yeah. And then people who are like, I'm not going to laugh at that, but I'm going to applaud because I agree with the politics behind the joke that actually wasn't that funny, you know? So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's tough to navigate. And I can, I completely respect any comedian that's like, yeah, they don't come to me for politics. David Spade's a perfect example. He's like, nobody's coming to me to hear what I think about politics. Sure, he's got a TV show. I'm sure he'll make a joke about a funny picture of Trump, a funny picture of Biden. But he's not He's not there to talk about his politics at all. And honestly, I don't want David Spade talking about politics. What, you know, I, I want him talking about what he's comfortable talking about. What do you think, uh, because I know that you, another friend of the show, is uh, Nick DePaulo. I I've become a huge fan of uh, Nick in a few years. I mean, he's Nick is definitely more cutthroat in terms of you know you you know where he's yeah where he's coming yeah, from. Yeah, no, and look, uh, Nick had a special that he put up for free on uh, YouTube, which I thought was an interesting choice. I thought it was really good. There's definitely stuff that I didn't agree with in there, but the jokes were funny, so I didn't care, you know. And uh, I think Nick is very funny. He's definitely dug in. Is like, well, this is what I think. And I'm going to see – it's like I'm going to tell the jokes that I believe in regardless of where I am. Uh, you know, I mean I think he I – haven't, we haven't talked to him in a little while on the show. But I know he relocated to Georgia. Yeah. But, you know, he was telling jokes in front of New York audiences. And, I mean, it's like – it's like, yeah, but, I mean, these are the jokes. So he's, it's like, you know, you don't think that's funny. It's fine. You know, he, he's very unapologetic. And he's so funny. I mean, Nick is so funny. And there's definitely a couple things that that are, that you're like, yikes, that was a, that was a bit too far, you know? Uh, you know, like he, I don't. He said something about Alyssa Milano where I'm like, okay, that's funny. You probably took it one step too far, but I'm not saying you know he should apologize for that joke. No, it's like it's fine. I'm like I wouldn't say that, but I'm also not Nick DiPaolo, you know. That's not my job to say something. Well, like I, that. well, I, I also used to tell people I'm like, if if you think Nick DiPaolo is bad. 
you need to go back and listen to the old Sam Kennison uh, record. Oh records. yeah, no, yeah, Sam's old uh, old albums are are pretty amazing. Which you know? yeah, which uh, you know, I I love that story that uh, you know Dennis always tells about Sam Kennison too because I can. I can actually the way Dennis tells that story. I can actually visualize it completely. Are you talking about uh, Dennis? This is Seika. Is that the story yeah, you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That. The adult film star yeah. Seika. Yeah, uh, Emmanuel Lincock, one of the uh, first adult films I've ever actually seen. And uh, there, the, let's just say there's some interesting usage of a ping pong ball that I don't think I was emotionally ready for as a as a I don't know how old I was. I was probably in middle school, and I'm like, oh, I didn't know that was the thing. <laughs> But yeah. anyway, yeah, uh, Sam Kennison was great. And, you know, I think um, in his heyday, I probably didn't appreciate Andrew Dice Clay because I think I took him at face value. You kind of didn't realize what it was that he was doing. Uh, it took it, it to, within a few years. I kind of got it like Andrew Dice Clay is so funny. He his like first special. He, he does a bit around the campfire campfire where he does all these impressions. It's not like all the nursery rhymes and stuff. And my wife and yeah. I saw him a couple years ago. He's still very funny, but he knows that people came to hear the nursery rhymes. So he does them at the end. And it's like he just sets them up and then the audience yells them. It's like, OK, so it's like playing. It's like the Stones playing Satisfaction or Kiss playing Rock and Roll All Night. It's like if you go to see him, you kind of want these things. And, you know, it's it's the social commentary that people were making in the 80s. It, it's, you know, on some levels it might seem dated, but a lot of it is like, oh, yeah, like, first of all, you can't say that now. But people do still feel the same way about the different levels of bullshit that you kind of have to put up with one in day to day life. But two, just trying to just trying to tell jokes, you know, how difficult it can be to uh, actually say something that, you know, is funny. I mean, I, I do it all the time. I have jokes. I'll say on the podcast, it's like, I have a great joke that I'm not going to tell you right now to Dennis. Every once in a while, I'll tell him one. And then he's like, it'd be like, yeah, you should probably cut that out just for you. You know, so that I don't get the headache of having said it on the podcast. Yeah. I I even, I even have to have to do that. I I was in a, I was in a mass communications, uh, course, uh, one semester and I, uh, we had to like do a thing on like you know, favorite comedy albums or something. And, and one of my favorite comedy albums is like, is, uh, Richard Pryor's, you know, album called super nigger. And I actually had to write the, yeah. I actually had to write the professor and be like, Hey, can I actually, uh, can I actually say what the title of this is in my, yeah. Or do I have to call it super N dash dash dash? Do I have to call it super N word? And look, if, if you were giving a presentation, in front of a class, I would be like, "Yeah, just don't don't call it that." But it depends. What did the professor say? He yeah he he actually did he actually did say that I that you know because it's the actual name of a thing that yeah obviously you know I could I could use the title and I I actually I actually made the disclaimer at the at the beginning I'm like you know hey listen I didn't call it call it this this is what Richard Pryor you know who, who's blacker than black you know call yeah call no and look in, I, and I know that album it's great day. I mean it's uh sort of this idea of of Superman and 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 you know and yeah and look it's uh look I get the conversationally that that's not a word that people uh, that look like you or I get to use uh, and I don't necessarily feel comfortable actually quoting bits from Chris Rock specials, but you know, they're, they're, they're in there and I'm able to laugh at them. And I don't feel like, you know, by me laughing at him using that word, 
that means that I'm clearly supporting, you know, centuries of 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 setbacks and racism. I'm supporting slavery. Like obviously, if you laugh at at a, at a black comedian that's using that word, it's very funny. And by the way, in the right situation, white comedians used to be able to sneak that word in once in a while and have it work for a conversation. I think uh, Bill Maher found out the hard way that uh, we don't get to say that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you know? uh, I, yeah. Which I mean beg, begs the begs the question too is. Is political correctness kind of going too far in terms of you know interceding in comedy too? Because yeah, yeah. Look, I I understand when it's when it's words that are really hurtful. You have to at least be careful with them. I don't think anybody should be told no, you can't say it. Uh, you know, the there's a look. There's a there's terminology for homosexuals that we all used to throw around a little bit more casually. Uh, Eddie Murphy on his album, the first track is that word, Oh, you know? Yeah. 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 And, and it's like, you know, to, to people in that community, those are words that are really hurtful to them. And it's like, all right, well, I don't, I don't necessarily need to use it in a public forum. Will I ever maybe use a word like that one-on-one to try and make somebody laugh, but you know, not with a microphone turned on. Yeah, probably it'll probably come up once in a while, but you're very mindful of it. It's it's not the way that we used to throw around words before. I mean, look, the N word is in the Bad News Bears, the original one, not the remake. Yeah, yeah. You know, when they list off all the the people on the team, you know, it, it's a word that the little white kid says. It's a really funny line, but when they did the remake, they sure weren't going to put that in there. You know. Well, well, I mean, I mean, my my friends and I always, you know, call each other the uh, you know the F the F word all, all the time. You know, oh, you're being such a you know a flag. Yeah right now right yeah no exactly and i mean look i I definitely not even when we were kids i mean i feel like even when i was in college people still threw that word around like don't be that you know and it's like look it's 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 a different world now for sure you know i mean you have public service announcements that like don't say that thing is so gay to mean it's bad you know but every once in a while you're gonna see something you're gonna see you're gonna see jim j bullock in the center square on a rerun of hollywood squares and you'll be like wow, that is so gay because he's so gay. You know, it's like there's a way to use things like that. You know, uh, Scott Thompson from the kids in the hall. He's uh, he has a character named Buddy Cole and Buddy Cole throws that word around and it's very funny and he uses it. And there there's a kids in the hall song uh, called running faggot. And it's so funny, but it's also from 30 years ago and they, they they'll perform it live. And they sort of like acknowledge the fact it's like, you know, it's like some of you were laughing just because of the word or so. You know, it's it's I forget how I haven't seen them in a little while. The kids in the hall. So it's you know, it, there's a lot of uh, I don't know. It's a minefield to just talk. And I think that, you know, there's a short list of words that you're like, just be mindful of what the repercussions are if you say it. Yeah. You know. And I, I think that a word that comedians throw around a lot and gets thrown around conversationally uh, is the word cunt. And women hate that word. Most women. My wife hates that word. And I'm like, yeah, but that's kind of why people use it is because it's such a terrible word. And sometimes someone calling them a bitch, it's like, no, they're they're beyond that. She's not just being a bitch. And that's a word we're not supposed to use anymore either. Oh. We're not supposed to call people a bitch. But it's like, well, then what are they? You know, it's so, like, by the way, a guy can be a bitch, too. And they go, oh, my God, he's being such a bitch right now. You know, 
that's a heterosexual guy I can be anybody can be a bitch the, and anybody can be a cunt. The the fun the funny thing of, of it is though about about you know about cunt is like all is like everyone I know who uses that word though it's it's all I've I've really ever heard a guy say that but I've heard more than once in the last few years actually women call it, calling each other that word it it's 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 funny it's like and even, and yeah no there i mean yeah i've i've certainly heard sarah silverman say that you know i mean it's oh, yeah. uh she might have been one of the first uh that that i remember anyway but you know what I'm, I'm gonna bet that joan rivers used it I, I i would be shocked if she didn't you know what i mean like not on television but i mean she was so funny and she was so dirty you know oh. that uh i wouldn't be surprised if she used it you oh know? yeah she well there well you know, what do you want to bet she called, you know, Johnny Carson, you know, a, oh. a, a, <laughs> well, a yeah. or, you know, a few other names after that. Whole well, to be fair, debacle. to be fair, like he got mad because she was his permanent guest host. And then she went and hosted a show, uh, a show for Fox. She like did a competing show. So he never talked to her again. And it was weird because like Leno didn't have her on the Tonight Show. And then Jimmy Fallon had her on. And then thank God he had her on because she died like maybe two months later or something. It was shortly thereafter she you know went in for that surgery that killed her. But she hadn't been on the Tonight Show in I don't know more than twenty five years, basically because Johnny was so mad about it. So yeah, I'm sure she used that term to to you know uh, characterize him. And you know she burned that bridge and she did a show for Fox for like I don't even think it was on for a year her late night show. So uh, I don't know. I mean she's she, career wise she did fine, but. You know, she could have, uh, theoretically, she could have ended up being the next host of The Tonight Show. You know, I mean, she used to guest host a lot. Gary Shandling used to guest host a lot before Leno, you know. So it, uh, it if she didn't do that, I mean, it probably would have been another seven, eight years. She would have taken over in the early 90s. But, uh, yeah, anyway, sorry. So I, I, I went down that rabbit hole. But, uh, yeah, I'm sure she's used that. I've probably heard her use that word, like, on Howard Stern on satellite or something, if I think about it. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, know, I've, I, I know I've definitely heard her, uh, you know, use that on some of the Stern ar- archives that, I, that I've heard. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's it's real interesting, too, because with, with podcasting and that whole, whole medium, you know, I've, I've been doing this since uh, 08, you know, the podcast format, and it, it's always been very interesting because... So wait, sorry, you've been doing a podcast since 2008? Yes. Um, wow, you're you're like one of the few people that I know that's been consistently doing it, because I didn't really start till early 2013. Uh, so, uh, and have you done it, have you done it consistently consistently or did you ever take like a, like an extended break or I've, I've done extended, I've done extended breaks, um, you know, on and off, but like, you know, like I said, I've, I've rebooted this show off and on and, you know, changed the title, but yeah, I've, I've been doing it since 08, 20, 2013 was really kind of the first year that I got, you know, discovered because of the Ben Shapiro, you know, interview I was on a couple, uh, you know, younger kind of conservative uh, podcast sure, yeah. networks, and then um, you know after after twenty sixteen happened, um, you know I kind of took a little bit of a break just because you know the whole fallout from from that was uh, you know pretty interesting. I actually uh, you know I used I used to kind of fall in line with the whole I was never ne- I was never never Trump guy. 
but I knew a lot of people who were never Trumpers, um, you know, who turned out that way. So it was, it was interesting because, uh, you know, I, I was kind of on the whole thing of, well, I'm going to do what Breitbart said, you know, in his CPAC speech, which is, you know, and again, I don't know that he would have supported, you know, Trump, who knows, but, you know, in the one thing that he does say in his speech is, you know, back in 2012 is I will vote for whoever the, you know, candidate is, because if we, if we don't, we lose. And the one choice, we have two choices. One is Occupy and the one is, and one is America. So, yeah, I mean, and, and then on the, the simpler level, the way that Dennis talked about it at the time, he's like, look, there's there's two there's two things to vote for. There's Hillary and not Hillary. I'm going to check the box. That means not Hillary. Yeah. And I think that you're going to see a lot of the the reverse of that, uh, which is I'm going to vote. There's two names. There's Trump and then there's not Trump. And then you can point sure. out, look, you, you can point out all the things that are wrong with Joe Biden. Uh, and it's not even like, you know, he's he smells women's hair. He's a little handsy. It's uh, he's forgetful. Uh, my favorite thing about him is that his teeth almost fell out during a debate. That actually made me like him more. I love that his, that he stopped his teeth from falling out. I'm like, that's the guy who probably ready to get a call. In the morning. But, you know, <laughs> but look, there's people it, it doesn't actually matter who is whose name is next to that, because it's just like. Uh, you know, and I, I don't, I don't begrudge anybody the, the, the way that they feel, uh, one way or the other people. I look, I, I know people who love Trump and, uh, I think there are things about him that I like that I think are very funny. And I think that are, there are things that he's done that's well, it's that he's, he's done, he's done a good job on, on plenty of things. And I think like, do you want to point to how he handled the, the pandemic in, in the first month? Like you can. But what about what's happening right now? Let's definitely focus on that first. How do we get out of it? And if you want to worry about, you know, who's in trouble for not listening to this or that, great. You can put people on that story, but let's not make that our primary focus. Let's figure out, like, well, do the states have enough tests? Because you hear that and you go like, OK, well, that's a problem at the federal level if they don't. And, you know, I think that it's a fascinating time which will be more enjoying to look enjoyable to look back on in five or 10 years when we're not living it to just think about this time that there was this election, that there was this global pandemic in the middle of a presidential election and however it plays out, you know, I mean, look, it's, uh, are people going to feel more comfortable? It's like, well, Trump's kind of been there. Let's ha let's, you know, give him another shot to, uh, to, to stick with it. Let's not change horses midstream. It'll depend on how healthy are we in November, you know, are we are we voting in person? Uh, are our states, you know, primarily going to really lean on voting by mail? Which I understand there's problems with that. From a safety standpoint, I can understand anybody who's like, yeah, I don't want to go to, I don't want to wait in a line with you know a thousand people for four hours and then touch a dirty touch screen. I get all of it. I get all the arguments. I get the arguments pro Trump. I get the arguments anti Trump. I get the idea for voting in person for not voting in person. Uh, and I don't know what's right. And I don't know how it's going to go the way it ever happens. It'll, it will be fascinating to look at. And it's like, n nobody's had this happen in the middle of their, their presidency. You know, I mean, FDR had world war two happen while he was president, but he's also, you know, he's elected for four terms. You know, you have wars break out. You have smaller wars break out. You know, H.W. Uh, Bush had the, the Gulf War, you know, yeah. but you'd never had anything like this. And it's not this isn't the American pandemic. This is the global pandemic. So it's like we're having this everywhere. And 
you know, if if uh, if if you want to compare us to other countries, you can. But the populations are so different and they're concentrated in such different ways. I'm glad that uh, South Korea has a handle on it. Uh, but it's a much smaller co- – it's like I don't even know what the population is. But is it less than Texas maybe? You know, it's – so it's hard to compare, you know. And it's like let's just hope everybody's healthy soon. And uh, I know that there's a lot of – there's differing opinions on this too. I just know I live in a state where we're not really so we've got almost another month right now as we talk May 15th. We can still go out. We can take a walk. But I I have to go pick up groceries a a little later. But I pre-ordered them online because that's what makes my wife happier. And I'm like, it's fine. It's it's easier. I don't mind. Uh, So I'll let them bring my groceries to my car. That's fine. You know, we, we order food delivered instead of going out to eat. Great. So, you know, it's uh, it'll be interesting to see how these next couple months, even if people are all back out to some capacity in the summer, I think it's going to change the way that everybody looks at everything. And I think if this election were held a, a year ago, it's a very clear cut Biden versus Trump. How do you feel like how do you feel about Trump? How do you feel about what he's done? And, you know, you cannot like Trump and also agree that the. him. Yeah, I don't, don't like what he stands for, but man, he does not catch a break, you know, and I, I, I'm I'm somewhere closer to that camp. There's a lot of things I don't like about him. There are things that I, I'm able to appreciate. But uh, e- even if I hated him outright, you can't pretend that the media isn't in the bag against him, you know, and that I think it's like, well, that's not fair, <laughs> but that's just the way it is, you know, well, and, and and go ahead. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think. I think one thing that was, you know, very that really stuck out to me was I I was reading an article like in the Atlant in the in the Atlantic like two weeks ago or something and it and it basically said something like uh, this wouldn't have happened if Hillary Clinton were were president that was kind of the headline and it's kind of like okay now you're now you're yeah, re- and, now you're really and, reaching. And- and you're like, okay, would things have happened a little differently? Possibly, you know, decisions get made earlier. But the the thing that the the Trump people always point to is one of the things that he did right was he closed off travel from China at the end of January. That's not something that you would imagine Hillary or Joe Biden would have done because they were saying like, oh, that's so racist to close off travel from China. And you can then raise the question that the CBS reporter did. Well, that's great that you did that, but what did you do with that extra month that it bought you? So, you know, it, it's everything is so much more nuanced than the way the media covers it. It's like, well, if you're starting from a place that Trump is bad, that's probably not going to give you a, a, an honest break in the story. But at the same time, President Trump's new favorite outlet is OANN or just OAN. and. Yeah. They start from a, a place of Trump is great and can't do anything wrong. And I'm like, well, that's not right either. Yeah. Neither one of them are right. And I would love there to be some kind of, of of media coverage that I felt good about the information I was getting. You know, I mean, look, I live in L.A., so I have I, I get the L.A. Times app. I read that, but that's not everything I read because you're just like, well, they're obviously they have a specific point of view. And, you know, Breitbart has a specific point of view. I think. I still think the Drudge Report is incredibly valuable because, yes, the headlines are heavily editorialized, 
but it is still an aggregate for news and it goes to these other sources. So he's just collecting what other people are saying. And yes, he writes his own headlines. And, uh, you know, Andrew used to handle the, the overnight shift on the Drudge Report. He and, he and Matt created that together in the mid 90s. And that's really how Andrew made his name. You know, he created that and oddly enough also created the Huffington Post, except that the Huffington Post that he tried to create, he wasn't able to because uh, all the conservatives weren't allowed to contribute to it at the last minute by places like National Review and uh, Weekly Standard. Anyway, so uh, I think that it's so hard to get our news in any sense that is unbiased. And I, you know, I don't care how anybody synthesizes the information they get and they can react to it however they want. I just wish we were all getting more accurate information than we are. And and there's no news source that I feel like, well, clearly this is the best one. No, know? I, I, no, I, I would, I would have to say like, I have about five or six ones, you know, and like, and I, you know, I'm, I'm fairly, I'm fairly, you know, like a pro Trump guy, you know, now I, I didn't vote for him in the primary, but when it came to the general, you know, that was kind of when I, you know, signed up and like got him, got him ag hat. Now, you know, do I think everything that he does is, you know, genius? No. I mean, I, I certainly think that there are, there are, you know, certain moments during the day where I'll check his Twitter and I'll be like, okay, did, did you really need to tweet that, you know? Yeah, look, I mean, there's the, there's the absurd level where it's like, you know, n- nobody cares what the ratings are like for your press conferences except you, you know? So that's great that you're tweeting about that because it makes you feel good. But, like, let's talk about what happened in there. And then, look, I think I think what he did yesterday as we're recording this, or maybe it was Friday, I think that's very dangerous to say things like liberate Michigan. You know, I think that other people saying it is fine, but I don't think the president should say that. And he can. He's a president. It's fine. And that's my opinion. You could feel the exact opposite. But I'm just like, I feel like that's giving credence to, you know, people literally rising up. Uh, uh, and look, people should feel comfortable not just falling in line for what their government says. And that includes the federal government, the state government, their county government, everything. But it's almost like the president signing off on it is like, all right, but you're only doing it in states with democratic governors yeah. you're not doing it and there's republican governors that are telling people to stay home and you didn't do it to them so that's where it's just like uh, i just wish you didn't do it you know because it's like that just makes trouble that you don't need and you know i i don't know i mean look you you're in florida sam and i know that they reopened the beaches last weekend and for those of us or just in jacksonville or i don't know where it was yeah for ja- those of us not th- yeah, for those of us not there, that seems crazy. But do people there feel like, oh, it's about time? Thank God that the beaches are open. No, what what what's in, what's interesting here? What's interesting here? I mean, it it it, it really depends. Uh, you know where you're at in in Florida. Um, you know specific specifically, I'm more like in the Tampa, you know, Bay Area. So so we're not like horribly locked down to, to begin with. But yeah, my, my dad and his wife live there. I, and yeah, there's there's levels of, you know, the distancing and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, he's, you know, and they're all so they are healthy. Yeah, sure. but I mean, I, I think, you know, definitely here kind of even amongst Floridians, people are kind of like, are we sure that people should be gathering at the at the beach, you know, all, already? I mean, I, I understand. I understand, you know, some people feel locked in, but it's like, okay, maybe, we, maybe we shouldn't be, you know, opening up the, the beaches. Yeah, I think, I think if the beach is open and there's like 
you know, six people spread out over like the whole beach, I'm sure it's fine. But when you start crowding, that gets to be a problem. Look, I read that I read that Texas is going to do some reopening at the end of the week or next at the beginning of the month. And when I read the headline, I'm like, oh, no, that sounds really dangerous. And you kind of read what they're doing and you're like, all right, so stores are open, but you can only do curbside pickup. So I guess you're still ordering online. All right. that I So you can and schools are still closed. And you can see like, all right, so that's a step that they feel comfortable making. And there's these three tiers of sort of reopening the economy. And I think that what people are missing is like, look, if the first tier doesn't go well, then you don't move on to the second tier. If the first tier does go well and you feel comfortable, it's fine. But I think that it's uh, I know I, I think that it's it's smart that. President Trump very quickly did the about face of, well, obviously, governors get to decide what happens in their states. I mean, uh, I'm not even a constitutional scholar. I've never even read the whole thing. But I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure that he doesn't get to just decide that that's what happens. And somebody got his ear and told him. But so it's like, look, Texas feels comfortable doing it. See how it goes. Uh, You know, I've seen some stats about Texas that make me think, look, it might work. But then if it doesn't, people need to be ready for like, no, no, you told us we could go outside. So I don't you know, look, I know Florida had spring breakers in the middle of March and a lot of them started to get sick once they went home. And it's like, okay, do you think that maybe that was a mistake? And and then it's like, oh, but let's open this beach. I'm like, all right. I mean, see what happens. But you just you don't want to let people fail on a big level when there's this many lives potentially at stake. You know, uh, you, you you know, usually it's like, well, that's the government. The government can do whatever they want. But it's like you don't want people to die in large numbers. You shouldn't want that. Well, I mean, I, I, w- I will say this kind of to put an asterisk with the with the with the spring breakers getting sick in Florida. There, there's always the question of, OK, did they get sick because of coronavirus or did they get sick because they drank too much, you know, and. <laughs> And, snort, yeah. and snorted too look, many lines of coke or, you know. Yeah, look, we, we know that some of the spring breakers uh, caught coronavirus. What they're not focusing on is how many of them have herpes and chlamydia and, you know, we didn't we didn't focus on that at all. So, yeah, spring break yeah. behavior is definitely very risky. Uh, but the, the point is, look, I mean, and the, the point has been made that uh, New Orleans shouldn't have held Mardi Gras, you know, I, I mean, and that governor knew about it. They knew they were given the advice, like, we don't think we should do it. And I can also understand making the decision in the middle of February, though, because it's like, yeah, it doesn't seem that bad. So they're telling me not to, but they're probably just being, you know, overly cautious. And I think that the thing that I like least in this narrative is basically and I'll call out the organization that I saw with this headline. It's uh, you know somebody I usually like. Uh, but this uh, the Federalist had a, a story that was circulating is like, should we shut down the country for New York City? And I'm like, well, that's bullshit because it's not just New York City. You're having, you know, people who are at risk all over the whole country. You know, you have South Dakota that never closed down and their numbers continue to go up. So it's like, look, something should be tried in order to save people's lives. And it's not just for New York City. New York City is the worst case scenario. Things aren't great here in Southern California. It's slowed down. It's better. And what I said to my wife when we first started staying in was I'm like, well, look, when the numbers start to not be what they predicted, then people are going to be like, see, it wasn't as bad as they told us it was going to be. It's like, well, sure. But also, is it better because people, you know, when I go to the grocery store, I'm going to wear a mask later. Maybe I'll tweet out a picture. People will see how handsome I am in my mask. But 
it, you know, it's like I, I don't know how much they help, but it's like, well, it doesn't hurt me to wear a mask at the grocery store. So I'm just going to do it, you know, and it's like, you know, I, I understand people worry about uh, about their the Bill of Rights and their rights and, and all that. But uh, at the same time, it's like we're not being kept inside at gunpoint. You know, there aren't militias, you know, patrolling to make sure people aren't on the streets. And I haven't heard stories about people being stopped like, hey, where are you going? I'm going to the supermarket. All right. Because, by the way, if the cops stop you and ask where you're going, just say you're going to the supermarket. We're allowed to go there. Yeah. So even even if you're even if you're going somewhere, you shouldn't be. Just say that even if you're going to your friend's house to get high. (sighs) You say you're going to the supermarket. So uh, I don't know. And I don't know what the right answers are. I do think that the answers lie within each of these states. And I think California and New York are in the situations where they're like, we're not we're not we're not ready to to even roll out phase one of this, at least for three more weeks, maybe more than that, though, you know? Yeah, it's it's interesting that you that you, that you mentioned uh, Drudge, though, and, you know, not helping with the with the headlines, because the one thing that has always kind of been curious, and I think I asked maybe Dennis this once on one of the uh, AMAs that you did with him, but um, I, I can't remember Um the one thing that has kind of, kind of shocked me a bit is the rise of uh, Infowars, kind of as like a. Ooh, boy, I I, we're, first of all, we're talking about Infowars and Alex Jones, uh, the uh, PrisonPlanet.net. Uh, for, what a great cartoon character that guy is. Unfortunately, he's a real person, <laughs> and people believe what he says. And I mean, look, you can you can argue that somebody like Rush Limbaugh. Uh, I was going to say Trump's up, but that's a, a pun now in this day and age. Uh, do they do people like do people like one uh, Rush, Tucker Carlson, but also like even your Bill Mars? Do they amp up what they believe for the sake of what they do? Absolutely, I, I believe that you're going to be a little bit more vehement about what you believe in because you're one entertaining and two informing people. But I don't believe for a second that Alex Jones believes anything that comes out of his mouth. I don't think that he thinks that there's lizard people. I don't think he believes in Pizzagate, you know. Uh, by the way, I've, of all the things he talks about, the lizard people is probably the most believable, by the way. I wouldn't be surprised if there were lizard people that live beneath the surface and, you know, maybe they plant a coronavirus in China, you know. I mean, sure. I, you know, the lizard people are trying to divide us. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, interesting because Infowars is it's been it's been deplatformed so many times, and it's like I don't know. I guess it's because people don't take it as entertainment. I find him highly entertaining. Oh yeah, so so Uh, do I. Yeah, but I think that a lot of people don't understand that it's entertainment. It's like you know, it's like a callback to wrestling. It's like people used to think wrestling was real, and then they changed it to sports entertainment. Well, it's it's it's. Infowars, it's infotainment, I guess, a phrase that we used to use a lot more. Uh, but yeah, and I think that when you get even conspiracy theories asked in a way that gives them legitimacy, legitimacy, you know, uh, you know, I look, I love when reporters do stuff like in a briefing ask President Trump if Joe Exotic from Tiger King should be pardoned. Uh, I think that's funny. I'm like, good, like. Yeah, look, we had all the serious questions. And to be fair, his son had been on uh, Jim Norton and Sam Roberts show the day before. And and Don Jr. had said, like, oh, come on, we got to get him a pardon. I'll see if I can talk to my dad. So it was like a legitimate news based question. But it's also silly. And I'm like, well, that's fine. Yeah. You know, I, I, that doesn't bother me. But then when it's like, 
if you were to to ask like, well, what kind of investigation is going on into Pizzagate? And I'm like, Pizzagate from like four plus years ago. I'm like, I, I don't know. Even even if it's real, you haven't heard much about it. So it's like, is there a demand for Pizzagate for people that that uh, you know aren't part of the 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 New World Order and the global establishment? You know, it's just like, all right, I don't know. It's there. There's some buzzwords that as soon as they come out of somebody's mouth, it's like it's hard to listen to what they have to say. You know? Yeah. Well, I I I know that. When I, I know that when I uh, talk to Larry O'Connor about it, uh, you know, privately, he he can't stand Alex, Alex Jones simply because Alex was one of the first people that propagated the whole uh, Andrew Breitbart was assassinated. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah, we we got caught. We got a call like that on the radio show, and I I, I actually remember the name of the person who called. Uh, I don't know his last name, but his name was Ferris in Connecticut, I, and I remember I was so angry. And uh, I at least was able to turn it into a joke. This was when Dennis was hosting too. And yeah. I, I usually don't take over like that. And I was like, how about you go Ferris yourself? You know, it just I, it made me so mad because it it belittles what happened, you know, which is which is tragic and just really sad that, you know, Andrew's heart gave out. You know, I mean, it's like it, it's like, sure, were there people that would have liked him to not talk anymore? Yeah. But that's not what happened. And that's that's the upsetting thing. And yeah, I mean, and Alex Jones sending people to the I, I, which which school shooting was that? You know, there have been so many, unfortunately. Sand, sand, uh, Sandy uh, Hook. Uh, Sandy Hook. So having his having, you know, people go and talk to the the Sandy Hook uh, parents whose whose kids were assassinated. And I don't care where you stand on on gun control and, and what there should be and what there shouldn't be. That the idea that those parents had to live through that is so heartbreaking. I can't I'm, I have two small kids. I, 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 I can't imagine having to, you know, get that realization and then having people tell you that it didn't happen when it happened it's just like like what what does he get from that I, you know i think like if he wants to go on his radio show and say that it didn't happen that's one thing but it's like you're getting you're having these these poor grieving parents that are being accosted about it because you have a show on youtube that isn't even on youtube anymore because youtube deplatformed you i think though in and this is kind of the, the other this is kind of the other interesting thing though because when he went on joe rogan's podcast a, a few months ago now or or like at the end of last year and i've actually looked this up he he says that you know he never he never actually propagated that but i guess listeners of his show for whatever reason and, and this is the other problem with having like a large audience is even if you don't you know even if you don't say something members of your audience will say stuff anyway and then say that right. you said it yeah well look it's the same argument so, i made before about why you don't tweet out liberate michigan you yeah. know because it's like that's just like well you didn't actually do it but you kind of encouraged it and look i i don't know what he said and what he didn't say but everybody seems to point to the fact that that was a narrative on his show yeah and maybe it starts because people call in and think it doesn't happen and he's like well yeah that's interesting but i mean you know he would get people in press conferences during the obama administration and ask about like false flags and things like this they all these these code words for you know and so it's like i don't know i i think that people should have free speech to say whatever they want but at the same time, the way that it's perceived can be dangerous. So, you know, I, I, don't, I don't quite know how you get a disclaimer on something, you know. And I mean, it's uh, uh, like I know that uh, pro-Trump people, it drove them crazy. But, you know, 
CNN started uh, started doing these chirons underneath a, a press tr- uh, a Trump press conference. I think it was a week and a half ago. And it was very editorializing, but it's like, well, yeah, but basically he's throwing a temper tantrum right now. So why don't you call it out? You know, he showed a, a propaganda video. He showed a campaign video, you know, to a to during a briefing like this. So it's like, all right, well, you're calling it out. And I don't know if it's right, but I understand the intention of it. And I don't, I don't know what the answer is. Um, but, uh, you know, CNN is not the place to necessarily go for the answers. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think. I think that uh, that was a missed opportunity for CNN, just in general, not that specific instance, because I think you you talk to most people. Uh, Fox is the news channel that's on the right. MSNBC is the one on the left. If CNN had become the one that's actual news, I think a lot of people on both sides would have been like, oh, but at least I can count on that. Uh, too many people want the echo chamber of like, I want to hear what I agree with. And uh, I think that that's also dangerous in its own way. But Alex Jones is dangerous in a completely different way. So... I, I don't know. I, I don't know what the right answer is. I think that uh, people need to go to uh, Sam Whitfield in the black cast. That's where all their information should come from. Yes, I, I, yes, I agree. So, you know, with with that, we're almost at two hours. So, uh, uh, yeah, you know, or, or, or as we call in the black cast, halftime. Yeah, the, the, or the, uh, the, past, the past, present, future hour, as uh, Dennis used to, you know, mention. Oh, yeah, we used to do on the radio. Yeah, so. Yeah. So yeah, whenever whenever you're listening to this in the uh, past, present, future hour, I hope you you guys and enjoy this. So, um, at Inmate right, Christian, just uh, again, where can people find you? Yeah, so you can and, find me on Twitter and Instagram uh, at Christian DMZ. I, I like to uh, post a lot of pictures of my kids because uh, that seems to make people happy right now because they're four and two, so they don't quite grasp what's really going on. They just know things are a little different. They still manage to have fun and uh, play in the driveway. Uh, you know, unfortunately we do take a walk with, we put these little masks on them when they walk now because we're like, well, it doesn't hurt. And, uh, you know, so I guess that's, uh, it's, they still manage to have a lot of fun and that's great because I'd love to be having more fun than I am right now. But a place where you can find fun is the black cast and the easiest way to go is just blackcast.com, B-L-A-D-T-C-A-S-T.com. Uh, that'll have the links to everything. And I'm doing, you know, Blackcast has uh, predominantly always been audio only, but because I'm doing a lot of the interviews on Zoom, uh, I have video versions of a lot of these conversations that are on the Blackcast YouTube channel, and we're finding that we're getting, you know, a lot more uh, subscriptions than we had in the past. Uh, yeah, we're getting new people who are finding the channel because I'm tweeting out the videos. And uh, the other show I'll mention uh, is uh, Popcorn Talk network on uh, youtube thursdays at 2 p.m eastern 11 a.m pacific marvel movie news uh we still have fun we still talk about superheroes and comics and movies and stuff so uh, uh check that out and uh, i do have a show called the trump report on AfterBuzz tv that is tuesdays at 11 a.m pacific 2 p.m eastern uh people in your audience might not agree with the other panelists but i hope they appreciate that i try to have uh, an honest uh, conversation uh, with them, and I also I, I tell jokes at the beginning of the show, it, so I try to have fun. If you ever if you ever need a uh, if you ever need a, like a kind of like a center right guy to come up to come on and kind of you know play Trump's uh, you know advocate, feel free to uh, you yeah. Know, ping, no, I, I, I'll ping I'll me. take you up on that at some point. I think that would uh, that would be great. So, so uh, but Sam. Thank you so much for having me on, and uh, I, I appreciate you, uh, first of all, 
being generous with your time. I was happy to talk this long because it's you know this is what I do oh, <laughs> in my little you. bunk. My little bunker down here is talking so much, and I'm glad we finally got to do it. Yeah, uh, it it uh, it took a lot of planning, and let's uh, let's not wait four more years before we do it again. Yeah, and I you know I'm always happy to come on the Bladcast uh, too. I've I've been on there I think twice now. But, uh, oh, that's, a, that's it's funny because I would have thought you'd been on more times. But uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll figure out a good, uh, good angle. Have you on? We'll certainly have you back on soon. So, all right, Christian. Well, thanks for coming on, and folks, thanks for uh, you know listening. And I'll see you on the next episode in the past, present, future hour. So, <laughs> thanks, everyone. Hi, everyone. there folks if you've made it this far to the end of the podcast i'd like to thank you very much for listening to the show you are the ones that make it possible for me to uh make an income from podcasting and i greatly appreciate that just by listening to our show you are helping us gain ad revenue however if you would really like to uh help support the show i encourage you to please donate to the podcast and become a supporter of the show you can head over to anchor.fm forward slash Whitfield report and click the support this podcast button and uh, choose the amount that suits you to support the show or you can click the link in the show notes and it will directly uh, take you to that page if you can support the podcast I really really appreciate that Anything that you can do to uh, help out is greatly appreciated, even if you can't afford to uh, help financially support the podcast. I encourage you to please go on iTunes uh, or Apple Podcasts or Stitcher and please leave this podcast a positive five-star review. That really helps us out here at the Whitfield Report. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next episode.